0: Joe Rogan Podcast, check it out. The Joe Rogan Experience. Train by day, Joe Rogan Podcast by night, all day.
1: Hello, Emily. Hi. What's happening? Uh You seem very normal, and that's what always (laughs) stuns me about people who do insane things. Like they're just, like Alex Honnold, I've met him a few times, had him on the show a couple times. Super normal guy, but does what you do
2: yeah i would argue alex isn't as normal as me
1: (laughs) oh really how so
2: (laughs) i don't know you've met him
1: (laughs) i think he's normal he's pretty normal he does very mellow
2: what he does is exponentially more um dangerous than what i do i would argue because there's no ropes at all he doesn't use ropes i do use ropes yeah yes
1: (laughs) it's it's listen it's dangerous what you do is dangerous We'll get there. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Tell people what you did because it's pretty crazy.
2: Um, So I did what's called free climbing. I free climbed a route on El Capitan, which is a 3,200 foot cliff in Yosemite National Park. And I did it in under 24 hours.
1: That is a long way to go. Yeah. 3,200 and...
2: It's something. 3,200 feet is what I say. I think it might just be like a little more than that.
1: (laughs) When you're halfway there, Emily Harrington becomes the first woman to scale El Capitan via its notoriously difficult Golden Gate route. Why is that route more difficult?
2: Well, okay, so...
1: Is it route or route?
2: I don't think it really matters. I say should. route. Yeah, yeah. Should. um So essentially, El Cap is this giant cliff face. And there's there's hundreds of routes up El Cap, different like pathways you can take. Um, And right now, there's currently only like 15 ways to get up it via free climbing. Free climbing being using only your hands and feet uh, to ascend and a rope in case you fall. Um, And I chose the route called Golden Gate, which is more difficult than the route Freerider, which people are very familiar with because that's the route that Alex Honnold free soloed, meaning he climbed it without a rope.
1: Yeah, that seems insane. So you're Uh, less insane than him.
2: Oh, Yeah. (laughs) Definitely less insane than him. <laughs> Alex is a dear friend of mine, but there are some things I don't understand about him.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't know if he understands th- those things about him.
2: No. I mean, I have an enormous amount of respect for him, but um, what he does is, is truly remarkable.
1: Mm. Um, you bonked your head while you are doing it, too, huh? I could see the, the yeah, mark on you your can forehead. Yeah,
2: um, I could Yeah, and that's actually the second time I hit my head uh, trying, to, <laughs> trying to do this. Uh, last year, I had a really bad fall. Um, wound up in the hospital, full concussion, the whole thing. This time it was slightly less, uh, less serious, but maybe more dramatic because it it happened like way higher up on the wall.
1: Oof. How high were you up?
2: Um, twenty eight hundred feet, I'd say, like almost to the top. It was a, it was a whole, it was very dramatic. What um, happened? I so the day was actually going really well. Um, I've been trying to do this for a few years now. Probably, I would say, three years I've been working towards this goal. Um, and I'd actually done the route in 2015 over the course of six days. And I really wanted to like, do the same route in 24 hours. Um, Can
1: I stop you there? When you yeah. do it over six days, do you sleep on the yeah. route?
2: Yeah, that's how most people climb El Cap. They sleep on the wall. It takes like five to seven days or so. That
1: seems more sketchy. <laughs> it's
2: it's It's different because there's a lot more logistics involved right like imagine you have to like live in the vertical world for days on end so think about everything you do like from when you wake up to when you go to bed including like, pooing oh yeah
1: you have to poo vertically
2: yeah we use like we use wag bags or like you know little like plastic bags and you like go in that bag and then you put it in another bag and and then carry it with it you so you yeah, carry it Yeah you poo put it, it in another days. bag you put it in another bag and then you like hang it below everything and you take it up with you. Oh. And then you like, you take it. Yeah, you don't leave it. Obviously. Uh, no, I would imagine.
1: <laughs> Stuff it in the crack up there. Is that yeah, someone there you pooing?
2: Go. Um, oh. No, that's just someone hanging out. Oh. That's like how you do it when you live on the wall. So you have okay. that ledge. Um,
1: like the Michael Jackson song. What? Living on the wall.
2: Dun, yeah. <laughs> dun, 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 dun.
1: Know that song? No. You know?
2: <laughs> I'm not familiar. It's a famous
1: song. Um, so you sleep in that thing. I yeah. would get zero sleep. I don't like sleeping you know, when I'm near the edge of my bed. It's amazing I get nervous. how,
2: uh, it's amazing how exhausted you are at the end of the day, and how used to the whole, like how used to it you get. You just adjust. The human body is like, like humans are really remarkable in their ability to like adapt to things. Mm. And so it's pretty cool how, yeah, it's really scary at first, but then the more you do it, the more you're just like, okay, well. This is kind of Are normal. you,
1: when you're sleeping in that thing, are you fully harnessed in mm-hmm. and strapped in? You and- sleep
2: in a harness, and you just usually have, like, a loose, um, like, rope or sling or something attached to the anchor point. <sighs> so, like, if you roll out, if you know, if you're one of those people that, like, rolls out of bed at night, um, then you don't fall <laughs> to your death. <laughs> Can
1: you imagine? <laughs> no. Up there, just the feeling of, like, waking up swinging, hanging from your harness.
2: <laughs> He's, so, he is actually, see how he has that sling around his waist?
1: Uh, no okay. That's just like kind of
2: rope? Yeah that's like Last wow. resort Like that's That's Tommy Caldwell He um, Tommy
1: Caldwell You're a <laughs> psycho He uh
2: He free climbed Perhaps the har- The hardest Big wall in the world Also on El Cap Called the Don Wall Um And he was up there For 17 days So when you You'd imagine what? 17 days like
1: <laughs> Look at all his stuff That's like He's like a homeless person Up there
2: Yeah There's a lot of stuff
1: <laughs> You know like The homeless people Have those little camps That is a He's a maniac that's a crazy person. Look at him checking his fingernails. Yeah. Da-da-da-da-da. You see he's
2: also he's also actually missing a finger, which is pretty rare for an elite level rock climber.
1: Oh wow. What happened to his finger?
2: Um, I believe it was a table saw accident, home improvement accident. Ooh.
1: And so he's using everything but his index.
2: Yeah, he kinda climbs, um he kinda climbs like this <sighs> and, and uses the little The nub. The nub. He's yeah. Definitely Tommy's one of my true heroes ultimate climbing hero
1: that you have a that is a very small click right yeah of savage psychos that are willing to climb yeah gigantic mountain faces
2: yeah it's a relatively small group i mean it's growing climbing is definitely growing in popularity um but it definitely used to be like a little bit like a small little community and i think we still feel that way
1: is the there extent. a danger in the climbing world or not a danger a concern i should say Of people who are seeing people like Alex Honnold and yourself become famous and get all this attention from these very dangerous climbs and they want to perhaps accelerate their progress and and jump right in and try to do some really risky things
2: (laughs) I mean I could see that being a danger um especially with like what alex does climb without a rope i would still argue that what i do is a relatively safe form of climbing i climb <laughs> with a rope when i but fall the not. rope catches me it's super safe when oh i God. fall the rope catches me um free climbing I'll Cap in a day what, what i just did i definitely cut some corners and um took more risk but that's an achievement that not many people have done or really strive to do um and so I think, I think for the most part, climbing is actually a very controlled, very safe activity, and you can make it as dangerous as you want it to be. Does that make sense?
1: Yes, I understand what you're saying. Um, so, if you're a person like Alex is deciding, you know, he's he maps these routes, he does them with ropes, and then he's like, "I can do this."
2: Yes, and Alex, Alex is so unique in a way, and I think anyone that watches the movie Free Solo, anyone that talks to Alex understands that what he does is he it's so well thought out and it's so well planned and every single decision he makes is very calculated and i I think that that's just and i think that that's a testament to to what climbing is truly about like we're not like we're not out to go feel an adrenaline rush when we go climbing like if you're feeling adrenaline it essentially means like you messed up like something's wrong um and climbing is very much more about like the movement and the challenge and the mental challenge of all of it, then, then going out and like trying to get a thrill.
1: How did you get involved in this?
2: I started climbing when I was ten years old. Um, I was at—I grew up in Boulder, Colorado, and my parents used to take me to the Boulder Reservoir, this lake. Me and my Do you cousins. have a Subaru? Uh, I did have a Subaru. Everyone in Boulder has a Subaru. I got a Subaru for my (laughs) 16th birthday. That's like 70% of the cars out there. Yeah. Green Subaru.
1: Because they're so practical. They work in the snow.
2: Yeah. I had it for years. Um, (laughs) So anyway, uh, my parents took me to the lake and they had this little festival there. And I grew up, I'm an only child. I grew up with my two cousins who were boys. And we were just like super competitive with each other all the time. Like all I wanted to do was be better than them at like literally anything it didn't matter what it was um so we were at this lake and they had a little festival with one of those tower rock towers you know the ones that you they let the kids climb on and uh we all tried to climb the wall and I just remember it was like well I have to go to the top because they went to the top and you know there was like no other option um but the interesting thing that happened when I was climbing was it was just this feeling of like oh I this is what i this is what I'm meant to do like, it was like, I, I just felt like I belonged up there. And I remember the feeling so vividly, even now, 23 years later. Um, it was like, I was scared, but I kind of liked it. And I just really, I got down and I was like, Dad, I want to go climbing. Like, th- that's what I want to do. I want to quit everything else. I was a gymnast. I played soccer. I was a ski racer. I was like, I don't want to do, I don't want to do any of that anymore. I just want to climb.
1: Why? What, what, what about climbing? Like, canceled all those other things out in your interests?
2: I think, I think part of it was because I was, I was good at it. And I like kind of knew that I was good at it. Um, Like I could feel like I felt I was strong from gymnastics. I had a lot of body awareness. Like it just felt like something that I could be good at. And I really enjoyed just the like feeling of being up high, the feeling of the exposure. And I really enjoyed, enjoyed the process of like solving it. Like I loved that cerebral, like how how am I going to get to the top? Like, how am I going to solve this puzzle?
1: So what was the course of progression? You started out... Did you start out just climbing small things with friends? And then did you eventually get a coach? Like, how did you get into, like, serious hardcore climbing?
2: I was among the first generation of kids, climbers, who started out in a climbing gym. So, like, in an artificial setting. Like, oh. a lot of people before me started... You know, in Yosemite, uh, mm-hmm. out outdoors, like in the mountains. But I, I grew up like in the '90s, and that was sort of like the beginning of climbing gyms. And so I, I started in a gym on plastic. And my dad took me to the local, the local climbing gym in Boulder. It's called the Boulder Rock Club. And he enrolled me in like a kids class. And they sort of noticed a little bit of talent I think in me and they invited me to join their junior climbing team. Like there's junior climbing teams. Now every gym in the country has a junior climbing team.
1: Is there a benefit to learning on Plastic First?
2: I I mean, I think access for one. Like if you if you live in a place where there's no rocks, um, it's pretty easy to go, still go climbing. You could go to the gym. Um, that said, it's very much become its own discipline, gym climbing. Um, and I use gym climbing still for training. Like, I think it makes you strong. It's a really easy – it's an easy way to get a workout in. Like, the, the body awareness factor, you can kind of, like, distill down all the, like, the movements and in a really controlled setting. It's also super safe.
1: When, when you say training, so, like, if you're going to practice for a big climb, something like you just did – do do you have like a training schedule? Like do you try to peak like an athlete would for the Olympics or for some some other kind of event? Like how do you how do you train?
2: Yeah, I do. I do try to train so that I am peaking at a certain time. I'm it's a little bit experimental though, honestly. I've I've been working towards this goal in particular for for many years, really experimenting with how how to train for it because it does require such a a variety of skills like you need the strength and endurance of of technical like of a technical rock climber in order to like climb the pitches cleanly but you also need logistical support so it has to be like the right time of year you need the right partner you need the good weather and then you need like the stamina to be climbing for 21 hours um and so a lot of it A lot of it was just trial and error for me. But I did spend a lot of time in the gym training on plastic. And then I would supplement that with, like, really long trail runs and big days in the Eastern Sierra, like, climbing bigger routes. Um, And then also there's a mental component. So I had to sort of get my head back, especially after my accident last year. I had to get my head back in the game and, um, you know, feel comfortable leading on run-out terrain with big fall potential again. So there was just, like, a lot. Um, And I did – I think this year in particular, because of of COVID, I was actually able to focus a lot more. Like, I think that was sort of the key for me. I stopped traveling. I was at home. I had like a routine. Um, I had like a good sleep schedule going on. I had like my days that I was training and I was able to like have a, a really good routine. And then when the season started, I felt really well prepared.
1: When you train, do you have someone who is a coach who sets aside a training schedule or do you just do it yourself? Is it an intuition like you just like have a f- sense of what you need to train? Like how how do you decide what you do?
2: I used to have a coach. Um I because when I first started climbing I was basically just only doing climbing competition, so I just was a competition climber. So I have a really solid base in in training and how to train. I no longer work with a coach. Um but I definitely like read a lot and I kind of like grab bits and pieces of information from my friends. Um and so yeah, I do I I do have a set training schedule approach that I kind of like build out in my head and try to stick to it. That said, I'm like pretty I'm pretty flexible, but I do not just climb. Like if that's what you're asking, I do a lot of specific, specific training. Um, mostly I try to train what I'm weakest at, which is like pure power, pure strength.
1: So you're saying that you do trail runs too, and you find mm-hmm. that that helps you?
2: I do think running helps me. A lot of climbers would say that running is like not that good for climbing. But Why is that? Because it, it makes you tired essentially. And it, decreases your power and your ability to like really pull hard um, like you're not really supposed to go running on your rest days but I do it anyway hmm. um, and Why for do... me sanity wise like I just uh, love running
1: just good for the head yeah yeah what so they think that just exhausting your legs from running will mess you up when you're climbing yeah got the idea
2: yeah I think so I think it just like depletes your ability to like ha- pure power you know like if you're doing like a I mean I don't know if you're doing like a weightlifting workout, it doesn't see it seems like you're not supposed to go run a few miles before you try to like bench press your hardest
1: weight yeah is there two schools of thought on that because it seems like another school of thought would be if you can condition your body to run and climb you'll you'll have a stronger body than one that just climbs
2: well that's my philosophy yeah
1: yeah <laughs> and obviously you're out there kicking ass
2: well i mean i'm i'm try. i'm still i'm a work <clears throat> in progress
1: well we, aren't we all <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so you basically are self-trained in that sense where mm-hmm. you don't have someone who sets a schedule aside for you like today you're going to lift weights today you're going to run today no. and so how do you do that is it just based on how you feel do you write it out like what like when emily wakes up in the morning and decides today is a what day how do you do that
2: i it's it's a lot of how i feel sometimes i plan it out sometimes i write it out um i It depends on how much time I have like if I have a chunk of time to train then I'll build like a training schedule like if I have a month I'll I'll be like okay I'm gonna climb two days on one day off for the next month um and then on the first day I'm gonna do like more power style training so like shorter workouts high you know like shorter workouts higher reps or whatever you want to call it Mm -hmm. um like fingerboard um bouldering uh, stuff that really like increases my power, and then on the second day I'll focus more on like power endurance or endurance, and that's sort of how I structure it. And I I climb, I do a ha- I do hangboard workouts, which is essentially just like hanging on different grips.
1: Yeah, I've seen those things. Yeah, those it's a really effective way painful. to train your fingers. You can't get manicures, can you?
2: I mean, I do get. Ma- I actually do get manicures. They just imagine, don't like, turn out that well.
1: <laughs> you're digging into rocks all the time. They <laughs> chip off
2: really, really fast. Yeah, <laughs> I like it. I like to feel girly it, sometimes. Just, <laughs> just
1: recognize that it's very temporary in yeah. terms of manicure, at least.
2: Yeah, it's temporary.
1: So, when you're training, do you use heart rate monitors? Do you med- register or record your recovery? Like, how do you do all that stuff?
2: I don't do that as much I've actually played around a little bit with heart rate monitors um a lot of times when I'm like resting on the wall that's something I'm really focused on like a lot of times um, when you're climbing and you get really tired a lot of times you'll feel it in your forearms they'll get really like tight we call it pumped like there's a lot of lactic acid buildup and that causes you to like panic in a way get a little bit of tunnel vision like and start to um, start essentially you'll just fall. Um, and so a lot of times what I focus on when I'm like in that place is trying to lower my heart rate, like very consciously. And I've used a heart rate monitor to do that. Um, but I don't do it while I'm climbing anymore. It's more just, uh, me recognizing that that's what needs to happen and putting effort into lowering my heart rate.
1: Well, you know, we we were talking before with uh, your fiance and we were talking about whoop straps, Mm -hmm. you know, and like the idea of checking your recovery and making sure like do you do any of that where you wake up in the morning and you make sure that you're good to go so does that in any way affect like how rigorous your training is going to be do do you do do you measure your heart rate when you wake up or anything i
2: don't do that and i and it's been for a specific reason i actually am i'm go i'm planning on starting to do that but because i had this project sort of looming the last few months um i didn't really want to like change my mm-hmm. approach because I thought it might mess with me psychologically and right, I think if you wake up
1: t- and you say oh my god I'm not yeah, that recovered like, oh no
2: I'm not recovered right like what do I do I try to be really intuitive about it um I used to be very like data driven and very focused and very like obsessed with everything that I did um and I it honestly in some ways I feel like it kind of hindered me mm. and so now I try to be a little more intuitive but I think I think it's a balance. I'm, I'm kind of like going back into maybe I, maybe I need to start tracking my sleep a little bit more because I'm, I'm a notoriously bad sleeper. Because
1: I would imagine I – mean, the reason why I'm asking all these questions about training is because I would imagine that when you're doing something that's literally – I know you, you're saying it's relatively safe, but for a person like me who's a big chicken shit, it's not relatively safe. It seems quite insane. And, <laughs> and I would imagine you would want every single edge – so i would I would imagine that if I was going to do something like that, I would want to know exactly how my workouts are affecting my body like okay i I lifted weights this day, and then the next day I, I felt pretty beat up, so I did this and then I recovered, I checked my heart rate, all right, I'm back, I'm good to go, so now this day I'm gonna run or this day I'm gonna do fingerboard exercises like I would imagine that there's so much mindfuckery going on when you're gonna do something that difficult. That uh, you want to put all these pieces in place the best way possible.
2: Yeah. And see, I would argue that all of that is like, it's like too much. Mm. It's like too much data. And it's like, that actually gives me a mind fuck.
1: Oh, I see. I see. <laughs>
2: versus, versus me just waking up and being like, oh, I feel good today. Mm-hmm. I'm going to listen to that like that little like internal voice. I think I'm a little bit more a lot of people are super data driven, especially in climbing and they write everything down and they I'm a little bit more and, and Adrian, my fiance is very much like that as well. Like he loves the data. And for me, I find it to I I think it messes with me a little bit. Mm. And so to a certain extent, I'm a little more focused on like my own my own mental state and my own like psychology and sort of like you know, trying to trying to just figure out how to have confidence up there.
1: Have you ever seen the movie Dirtbag? No. No? No. Really? Uh-uh. Oh, it's amazing. What's it about? It's about a climber. About a guy who literally climbed his whole life. I forget the gentleman's name. Dirtbag? He, he's a famous climber. Fred oh, Becky.
2: I know, Yeah, I know who Fred Becky is.
1: <laughs> Dirtbag, meaning that you know he would just yeah. camp out uh-huh. and l- sleep on people's yep. couches and climb and yep. l- all across the world, and was meticulous in his his recording. It's an amazing documentary. Yeah. Even for someone like me, he has zero interest in doing that. But he climbed till he died. Yep. I he mean, did. he just kept going, and it shows it in the film. You know, you see uh, footage of him when he was younger. Whereas, i mean there he is like overnight camping prohibited yeah. nope fuck you i'm sleeping here yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he just slept everywhere and it just shows like how bizarre his obsession with hiking and camping and and climbing was i mean he was he just wanted to get out there and and climb all these different peaks and all these different mountains and all these different paths and recorded everything yep. like super meticulously had boxes and boxes of notes and he would go over the notes and show people routes and all the, the different things that he learned while he was doing it. I mean, he was obsessed. I am just fascinated by people that have a singular obsession like that and carry it for their entire life.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think climbing for me and per- I personally think climbing is very easy to become obsessed with because there's so many different facets to experience it in like you can go to the climbing gym and just play around on some plastic holds or you can work towards climbing something like mount everest and then like everything in the middle and so there's just a lot to do like i just feel like i don't even have i i have like a lifetime's worth of of things to do in climbing
1: Mm. that makes sense I mean, uh, f- watching that guy, watching the Fred Becky movie, B- Becky, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Watching that movie and, and seeing his lifelong obsession, seeing other climbers sort of talk about him and the experiences they, they had with him. and Like, it, there's, it's, there's more going on than just climbing, right? It's, there's some sort of strange, it's a chase of a mental state. There's a, there seems to be a mental state of people that climb and want to reach the peaks of these things and, and navigate these difficult routes that it's there's a some sort of a game going on in your mind and there's rewards. There's like this, this good feeling that everyone is getting while they're doing this. You're like filling yourself up with endorphins when you're accomplishing these things. Is that safe to say?
2: Yeah, I, I could agree with that. I mean, I, I think for me climbing is my passion and it is essentially like my vehicle for experiencing like like the all of the wide spectrum of emotions that we all have you know it's my vehicle for exploring fear it's my vehicle for exploring achievement and success and ego and confidence and you know I I think you could really like use anything in order to explore those emotions but everyone I think in some way is Is trying to find what their vehicle is to explore those emotions and for me it it truly is climbing like up there on El Cap like I went through the whole spectrum of emotions the whole day just up and down in like the most extreme ways possible
1: when you have these moments where things don't go well where you have a fall or when you had your concussion and you got really banged up overcoming those things, what is that like? Because I would imagine that it's such a scary thing to do. Well, maybe for me, I don't know as much for you, but the, the I'm watching pictures of you. My hands sweat, I, <laughs> not, like legitimately. Like Alex Honnold freaks me out. Every time I see videos of him, because he's got no, nothing saving him, yeah. my hands start sweating. I, yeah. I can't
2: handle no, it. No, I think all our hands sweat when we watch him. But <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so for me, it's, I think... For example, when I when I hit my head this time, the time I got the scar, um, I was on one of... My day had gone so perfectly. Like, I was climbing super well. Everything was great. There's your I, There it is. Ouchie. Um, yeah, that was the rock bottom moment. So, I was climbing, and I was in the sun. I slipped off. I felt like I was just going to have a really normal fall, super safe, like nothing bad was going to happen. And then I hit my head, and I instantly, like, just felt the blood pouring down my face, and it was super dramatic and it was super scary and I lowered down and Adrian sort of assessed me for concussion symptoms and tried to, you know, figure out if there was anything super serious and turns out that there wasn't really. Um, and so it, it came time to decide like, oh, should I keep going or should I, should I give up? Like what, you know, what, what's the best course of action now? And honestly, in my head, I was like, part of me was like, I don't want to keep climbing. Like I'm emotionally kind of destroyed and and drained and I don't tell think me, I tell can me do how it happened.
1: Like what, what was mean, the sequence of events?
2: I was so I I was climbing this pitch, and it's a pitch that I've never fallen on before. Um, and the next pitch is the hard one, which is where I think I went wrong because I was sort of thinking ahead, like mm. I wasn't focusing on what was happening in front of me. I was thinking about the. The next pitch and i was like i need to get this one out of the way so that i can focus on the hard one and therefore i was climbing the sun when it's too hot like the friction's not as good it's more slippery all those things um and i was rushing it i didn't rest enough the
1: friction is not as good when it's hot yeah why you want it to be
2: cold because your skin sweats
1: Oh, okay. It's and just like it.
2: the rubber on your shoes isn't as sticky. Like it's just oh. the heat, the heat radiates off the rock. It just gets more slippery. Like imagine like a, a granite face just like baking in the sun. Mm. Like everything's more slippery and you're, you're all sweaty. And so it's just not ideal. Um, mm. And I could have waited, but I didn't. So I, cl- I was climbing and I was like kind of traversing. And so I was trying to do this move and I rushed it and I slipped and I fell but I had like a piece of gear down into my right. And I just didn't, I just didn't anticipate like the physics of how I was going to fall. And I kind of fell sideways and I couldn't get my feet out in front of me in time. And we watched the footage later. It was just like, it was kind of like my head just like bounces off the wall, like a, (sighs) like a basketball. (laughs) Um, and I must've just hit like a crystal or something with my forehead, like some sort of, Something sticking out of the rock. Um, And there was just blood everywhere. Like head wounds, they just, you know, they bleed. They bleed a lot. And so there was a lot of blood and I lowered down and I was super bummed. It was just like my confidence was sort of shattered. Like I could, I just kept thinking back to last year. I was like, oh no, my attempt's over. Everything was going so well. Like this sucks. And I was letting myself go to that place of doubt and that place of like, it's over. It's done. And last
1: year when you hit your head, you hit your head much harder.
2: Last year I fell on the first pitch of the route, um, so close to the ground, uh, and but I fell like 50 feet and I hit a ledge and didn't the rope like didn't catch me. I hit the ledge because Ooh. I was uh, again rushing and not placing enough protection and.
1: So you fell 50 feet without being caught? Uh huh. Oh my god. I hit my a ledge. God.
2: Yeah, it was a re- it was pretty gnarly. How I, did you hit it? I I don't remember because I got
1: KO'd. knocked out. Yeah. yeah.
2: Um, but I had this crazy is... rope burn on my neck, and oh my god um yeah it was it was pretty i had yeah we I had to get rescued like full on ambulance to the hospital, like spinal injury worries, all that it was pretty serious, it was definitely the worst accident i've ever had um and it was I walked out of the hospital that day, which is incredible, like that just doesn't happen there's very you. often there's me
1: dressed up like a burrito. <laughs> And what? So this is when they were carrying you to the hospital. Is that yeah, what, that's look a at rope, that rope burn. burn. Oh my god! I also
2: don't know how that happened.
1: Oh wow! Yeah. Wow. And there's no footage of this, right? You didn't. You didn't mm. review footage of there's it.
2: There's that. Well, it was dark when I started climbing, so there actually, is footage of uh, Alex Honnell was belaying me. Um, there's footage of him belaying me.
1: What does belay mean?
2: Uh, Belaying is the person who holds your rope at the bottom. Oh, okay. So he was, like, essentially holding my rope. But it's a little bit nuanced because the way we were climbing, we were doing something called simul climbing. Um, So we were – essentially, I was tied onto the top of the rope. He was tied onto the bottom of the rope. And we were climbing together up the wall simultaneously in order to save time. And it's actually – it is a more dangerous form of climbing than just, like, one person climbing while the other person belays them. And then they – and then – I would stop and bring him up and then we'd go on from there. Like instead we were climbing together.
1: Whoa. That makes me nervous just thinking about it. Yeah. So if someone falls, you're kind of connected to them.
2: Yeah. We are always connected to somebody when you fall. Um, But if he had fallen, it would, it's, it's kind of a complicated form of climbing that not many people do. Um, It's definitely like an advanced (laughs) strategy. Mm. Um, But
1: so was someone filming?
2: Yeah. I have a, I have a, filmer who's making like a, a movie about me um and he was filming because he was there filming that attempt and he was filming alex as alex was like sitting on the ground getting
1: ready and have you reviewed the footage yeah what is it like watching yourself it's
2: pretty it's pretty like it's it's hard it was hard i didn't watch it for the first few months i was like i don't really want how it.
1: long does it take to fall 50 feet it would imagine that's a few seconds
2: mm, like a i don't know what's the um, how fast do you fall isn't it like not nine point yeah 9.8 meters per second
1: Mm. yeah so it's a couple seconds at least
2: yeah um at least it felt that way
1: (laughs) Oh,
0: god.
2: so yeah so that was that was something like a mental hurdle to get over for this year and then this year Something similar happens, only I was way higher on the wall, but I was really close to succeeding this time. Mm-hmm. And I had this, part of me was like, well, I just want to give up. Like, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to be done. Like, was, I'm tired of this project. I'm over it.
1: When you got over the first injury, the the, the really bad one from last year, what was the, the process of recovery? Like, how long did it take before you felt comfortable enough to climb again?
2: It, you know, I was super lucky. I think I definitely got away with one. It was one of those things where I got away with one. Like, I walked out of the hospital. I was um, back climbing. I, I took, I think I took a month off, but I went to like, I went to Ecuador and climbed a, a volcano with my dad and like went skiing and just did a bunch of things. Like, how long afterwards? Fine. We went to Ecuador like four days later.
1: What? Yeah. What kind of crazy father do you have? He's awesome.
2: <laughs> my dad loves all sports and activities and he's like super passionate about everything and this was his mm. dream was to like go climb this volcano in ecuador and we had been planning it for months and i actually felt that was one of the reasons i felt so bad that i got hurt was like i was like oh no i'm supposed to go on this trip with my dad and like we mm. had you know we had this whole plan he's been training he trained like for months he's 65 oh, wow. years old like I, you know it was one of those things so we mm. went and we climbed the mountain and like thankfully i was able to do that with him it was really cool
1: what kind of Like physical Damage did you suffer In terms of like How long did it take For you to recover
2: I I Honestly I would say I felt pretty normal Within a month
1: Real Yeah A
2: little back pain
1: But concussion Concussion Yeah The
2: concussion symptoms Were a little gnarly For a little while
1: But four days later You're climbing A goddamn volcano Yeah
2: Well we're headed there Yeah
1: (laughs) How long after that Before you were actually climbing
2: I I, uh, Maybe like three weeks
1: Yeah So while you were suffering from some at least concussion sy- symptoms you were climbing.
2: Yeah, not recommended. <laughs> we went to the doctor and she was like you sh- you can't go to Ecuador, you shouldn't do that and I was like
1: Yeah, that's nice. Go. See ya. <laughs> when when you watch the footage of the fall and you you know, you see yourself hit the wall and the just the the impact and what happened to you, does that it obviously didn't deter you? From doing anything, but does it change the way you approach climbing uh,
2: yes and no i I think the reason that it was a little bit easier for me to overcome that hurdle was because i was it was really obvious what had gone wrong, and it was really obvious that the what had gone wrong wrong was within my control, like I simply had not placed enough protection for the difficulty of the route um, It was an easy easy climbing for me but it was really dark it was cold it was slippery and I was like I was just going too fast and not placing enough gear
1: and so, so- but can you explain that to people so when you're doing a route or a route when you're on your way up you decide okay I need to place mm-hmm. something here mm-hmm. in case I fall and do yep. you do it more when it's more difficult mm-hmm. and exactly and you gave yourself a lot of space. Where you I had- did.
2: I gave myself a lot of space because I'd done it so many times before and I wanted to, so I only had, you only have like a certain number, like a certain amount of pieces of gear, right? Mm-hmm. And Alex and I were trying to go really fast and climb the first part of the route within, you know, within a couple hours. And so I was trying to conserve the gear. So I was trying to like not use it very often so we could cover more distance mm. in in one go, you know, So because otherwise you then you have to stop. And then, like, because he follows me and takes the gear out. Mm. So I place it, he takes it out on the way up. And then we meet and he gives it back to me and then we start again. And so I was essentially just trying to conserve gear. I wasn't placing enough. <sighs> and so the next time around, I was like, well, I'll just place more gear. Like, I'll just be a little more conservative. And so it te- this season, it was a lot of, it was some baby steps of like going back to that route and just placing a lot of gear so that I felt super safe. And then, you know, climbing it in the same style that I was going to climb it with Alex, simul climbing it, but still placing more gear. And then during my try this year, I actually told Alex because he was he's definitely um, more comfortable than almost anyone I know on El Cap. Most people at least feel a little bit of intimidation, a little bit of fear, like, you know, there's a little bit of anxiety around it. And he's just so casual that he was like, yeah, you should just like, you know, just run it out, like, go, go all the way. Like, he was basically just wanting me to do it the same way that I was doing it before and i was like you know alex i'm gonna be a little slower this time like i just i think i need that for my head and he was so like, he okay. felt
1: like you should do it with the same amount of gear that you did before yeah, just I don't mean, fall just don't fall this time emily yeah
2: kind of real simple a little bit yeah he was like you know but alex the one thing he always says is he's just like okay follow your heart and i was like okay well i'm gonna go slower <laughs>
1: <laughs> well just to, so the audience knows alex told me that he did a route once and on his way up realized that he hadn't brought any chalk Whew. so yeah. he had to borrow it from someone else yeah. who was strapped to ropes so yeah. he's free soloing yeah no chalk yeah says hey uh i don't have any chalk and the guy gives him a bag and said and he left the bag at the top so that when they got to the top they could retrieve the bag
2: yeah that's the classic alex situation yeah what
1: <laughs> Like how do you not bring like if you lift weights, you, you like chalk. It's like it's very yeah, important. For me too. You get I'm a good grip. Kind
2: of obsessed with having chalk. Yeah, I, I don't have chalk, I just won't go climbing. <laughs> I just
1: can't imagine.
2: <laughs> but I you know, I think he's the type of person that, um you know, going back to like talking about heart rate, like I bet I bet when he's in those types of situations, like he's so relaxed and his yeah. heart rate is so low and he's just he's a different I I think he's truly unique. You know? And I, I think I, I think that he just has a different, like, even brain chemistry than, than a lot of us in terms of, like, how he feels fear and how he can maintain that composure in a very dangerous
1: situation. Well, he's remarkably calm all the time. Yeah. Like, he just seems always, like, on this one plane yeah he's got like this like 55 beats per minute that he just stays at all the time (laughs)
2: yep and it's great climbing with him actually because it kind of rubs off on me a little bit Mm. like when i climb with alex i feel more confident i feel more capable i tend to climb better um even though he kind of gives me shit all the time for being nervous he's always like you're always nervous like you're you're always stressing out but it's actually when i'm with him i'm like you know what i i can chill out a little bit i can like i can I can be on that wavelength a little bit more. So that's part of the reason why I I like climbing with him up there and why I chose him for this project.
1: Well, that makes sense. I mean, I guess when you're around people that are, if you're doing a thing and you're around people that are excellent at that thing, it's contagious or at least inspirational.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think it's important to like do, yeah, to practice practice things that you want to be better at with people who are better than you.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, What was it like? Do you remember vividly your first day climbing after the the injury? Um,
2: yeah, it was in Ecuador. I went to this little like crag, little climbing area. Um, after we climbed the volcano, and I, uh, I remember climbing, but I had like back pain, you know, and it was from the injury. Yeah, from the injury, and and I just remember thinking like, oh. I'm still not back like I'm gonna have to like maybe I'm not ready yet you know it was one of those for me I've always been the person who I don't really give myself a break very easily and I'm I'm pretty hard on myself but this time I think I learned a pretty valuable lesson that was like I do need to be a little bit more gentle with myself and be okay with like taking a step back so I actually tried climbing and was like Nope, not today. I'm not going to do it today. And I just took photos for the rest of the day. Mm. And then I didn't climb again until maybe three weeks later.
1: What do you do to try to recover from something like that in terms of like physical recovery? Do you, do you dig, take ice baths? Do you try to stretch? Do you get massaged? Like, how do you, when you, you feel like beat up from something like that, how do, you, how do you bounce back?
2: Yeah, massage I do as often as I can, not enough. Um, and then really, really light stretching, like foam rolling. Um, I have like a little travel lacrosse ball that I lay mm. on sometimes, but again, I am not as, as diligent with it as I probably should be. Um, but back, but then after I got injured, I was really diligent about it. I think it's something that you kind of should maintain though. And I definitely don't do that.
1: <laughs> now, do you do this professionally? Yeah. This is this is all you do? Job. How long has that been the case?
2: Um, I, well, I guess I I should say that I became like a true professional rock climber when I joined the North Face team. And that was in 2008, um, right after I graduated from college.
1: That's a long time. It's a
2: really long time. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So you've been a pro for 12 years?
2: Yeah. 12 years. And before that, I was like doing a lot of competitions and, you know, ma- had sponsors and, and stuff like that. But I was also in school and then I went to university and. Uh, I wanted to be a lawyer actually um, so I graduated from the University of Colorado in Boulder and I was gonna like study for the LSAT and that's when the North Face approached me and uh, I was like okay well I'll try this for a little while and see how it goes like it's a cool opportunity to travel and see the world and keep climbing and then I just didn't.
1: Were you, were you hesitant? to so like, it Not at like- all. No. But you went to school for something else and then yeah, you're, I, I you're mean, doing something physical that's always weird, right? Because yeah. you're relying on your body, which can, yeah. can break.
2: But you can always go back. My, my mindset, I think I was 20 years old. Like I didn't really, you know, I didn't have like a super good like 10 year plan or whatever. You know, I was like, I'll mm-hmm. do this for a few years and then I can just go back to school. Right. Like that's, that's great. Um, But now being a professional athlete, like has sort of like morphed into this viable option to make a living well for me at least
1: and when you're sponsored like how does that work do you are you required to do a certain amount of climbs per year are you required to make social media posts like how do, how do they how does that work
2: yeah so i work with a bunch of companies but the north face is the main one and it, it's essentially i mean yeah it's essentially like kind of a, it's like a marketing job like we're we are expected i wouldn't say required but expected to um, participate in social media, um, tell our stories, like be you know be open about that, and then we do a lot of photo shoots, we do a lot of um, expeditions, a lot of big trips, um, and then personal projects as well, and and yeah, kind of expected to tell the stories of those and to, to work with the brand to you know, make it worth their while as well.
1: So they just kind of want you to be cool and wear their stuff. Like you're out there doing cool stuff and yeah. you wear and, in the North and face. be active within yeah. the
2: brand. And like, yeah.
1: Is that, does, is, how does that feel? Like to be like, that's what you do for a living.
2: I, I would be lying if I said that I didn't feel sometimes a little bit of like imposter syndrome, you know, how kind so? of like, Oh, like, do I actually deserve this? Like, <laughs> <laughs>
1: that happens with everybody though yeah i think so yeah like why
2: am i like why am i here right like i don't i'm not special
1: (laughs) (laughs) right well that's probably why you're special
2: maybe i think yeah i I don't know
1: i think people that like actually think they're special genuinely uh are they that's a that's a more of a hindrance i think you're better off with yeah i think you're better off feeling like shit Okay, You're I'm gonna around. continue with that then. <laughs> I do because I think I think it makes you work harder. I I, th- I really do. Yeah. I think the people that think they deserve success, the people that think they're awesome, I I think you don't have as much uh, nervousness or uh, at least doubt, which forces you to work harder. Mm-hmm. You know, I think there's there's real value in feeling fake, like feeling like. How am I here? I to, like these yeah. other people are—they're really good. Like I know so many successful people that think that way, whether it's athletes or uh, comedians or so many people suffer from imposter syndrome. Yeah, and no, I think it's real. I've, I've experienced it. Yeah. yeah, I think it's important. I think it makes you work harder because you yeah. just—I think if you just think you're the shit, like you're not gonna—you're yeah. not gonna have that extra edge.
2: Yeah, and I guess like admitting to it, <laughs> it also like. Makes you more relatable to people, I think. Sure. Like admitting that you struggle with self-confidence and like imposter syndrome and feeling like you're not good enough all the time is...
0: Yes.
1: <laughs> it helps mean, well, other
2: people be like, oh yeah.
0: Yes.
1: Cool. I feel that way too. Yeah. Well, it's I think it's valuable for all of us because we, we want to know that you're human, right? Like, yeah. You're doing a superhuman thing, right? You're climbing the face of a giant goddamn mountain. It's crazy. When someone does something that everyone else is terrified of, want to know like what is that lady like like what is and when you're like oh i feel like a fake yeah people like oh she's like me i'm
2: terrified most of the time and i cry a lot (laughs) that's what it's like
1: yeah (laughs) see people love to hear that they
2: do they really do it's
1: Um, uh, it's very valuable when you can relate uh, like genuine anxiety and fears and and things to people because you are doing an extraordinary thing with your life. I mean, how many professional rock climbers are there?
2: Yeah, I mean there's there's a few. Yeah. There's not many. There's more now. <laughs>
1: a lot more lawyers. Yeah. It's true. <laughs> yeah. It's is a lot more now than when you first started.
2: Yeah, for sure. I mean, climbing is c- kind of exploded in, in popularity in a way, um, with the like the resurgence of climbing gyms. Like there's climbing gyms in every yeah. Every city now. Multiple. It's a really
1: good way to get a workout. Like yeah. people don't realize how hard it is to do. It's really hard. Yeah.
2: I, I mean, yeah, I love it. I think it's so cool that people now have access to like experience climbing in, in the inner city if they want to. I think it's rad. And it also now it's an Olympic sport. So or it will be in the Olympics next year. It was meant to be in Tokyo.
1: How do they do it as an Olympic sport? They have a particular path that you have to try to climb up. and
2: So it's three disciplines um, because it's a new, it's a new sport. Um, they've essentially combined like the three main disciplines of competition climbing into one. So there's one medal and they combine the scores and they have uh, lead climbing, which is with a rope. But like the the roots are longer, like, say, I don't know, 50 feet or so. Um, so it's sort of, sort of like an endurance challenge. And it's like they set a path and that it's meant to be difficult. And each person gets one try and whoever gets the highest wins that discipline. Mm. And then there's bouldering, which is like shorter. No ropes. The movements are like more powerful, more explosive. There's a little bit of a, a parkour element. There's like a lot of jumping around. Yeah, there you go. Whoa. Um, lots of like big features like volumes. Um, where is
1: that guy going?
2: <laughs> yeah, where's exactly. Where is he, where's it's he really going? How do you, but, but it's
1: really confusing. but super entertaining. If you're hanging in that position, what is your next viable he's gonna, option?
2: He's going to throw his feet up to where his uh, left hand is. And then he's gonna bring his left hand into his right hand. What? Yeah. Just what? that's my that's my estimate. What well, that's me reading. And it. then where's he go? And then he's gonna Other go that next red one down. with a sticker on it.
1: <laughs> that one?
2: Yeah. Really? It's incredible. Like bouldering competitions are so cool.
1: Oh my god. They're
2: super entertaining.
1: And they all have that sort of Alex then, Honnold body. Long, yeah. lean, very but not, thin. But, but not, not everyone. Too thin. Like no?
2: a lot of the women are quite short, like quite small. Really? It's kind of like climbing is so Climbing is unique because it's really complicated, and it kind of caters to all different bodies, body types. Mm. Um, in a lot of ways, it's better to be taller, but in other ways, it's like sometimes better to be shorter because it's always different. The roots are always different.
1: I would imagine tall would be better because you have a longer reach. You yeah. can reach up and grab most a hold of Most of the stuff. time,
2: but I can put my feet a lot higher than a lot of people, and I'm a lot more flexible than most people.
1: Uh, what do you mean by you can put your feet like higher? I can put
2: my foot like above my head if i oh, want to because you're flexible from yeah. gymnastics
1: yeah oh interesting mm-hmm. and do you maintain that do you like work on your flexibility just specifically for that
2: i should i don't
1: there's a lot of this with you i know <laughs> oh I, mean, I should get you more massages every- you can't do everything I should- oh i guess so that's yeah. lead climbing okay
2: um so that's with the rope and you just get one try on the route. with the bouldering you got you get like they call them problems so you get maybe four or five of those problems and you get five minutes on each one mm. a- and however you do on each one gives you a score and then you have speed which is right there same route everywhere all the time and it's just it's speed i've <laughs> seen
1: some of those speed ones we've watched them on the show yeah bananas yeah it's, bananas. With Alex.
2: Yeah, it's bananas. really fast
1: they go flying it's super yeah yeah it's really really cool it doesn't seem real like how does a person get up a wall like that
2: i, I don't know I I mean, and they also have a different like speed climbers actually have a different body type than a lot of the like sport climbers and boulders Mm. because a lot of it is like really lower body explosion. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So that's Olympics.
1: Whoops! This is music (laughs) to the explosion. Oh, look at these guys going. Yeah. So the rope is not helping them. That's what's crazy. Because if you saw someone just make up their way up a wall like that. No, the rope's not helping. Like that is insane.
2: Yeah. So that's speed climbing.
1: You have to be so strong to do that. I mean, that is just yeah. bonkers. Wow. Yeah, I've
2: never, I've actually never, um, never speed climbed really. Really? Mm-mm. How come? Not like that. Just because I've always focused so much on, on technical, difficult rock climbing and other things like mountains and all these other disciplines.
1: What's this person doing?
2: That's bouldering.
1: Oh, okay. So this is trying to figure out how she's to do it. She's trying to
2: solve the problem of like and
1: she's not she has no rope. So No she f- rope. So if she falls, she's just gonna what?
2: She's just gonna hit the the pads. The pads are super thick. They're almost like uh pole vaulting pads kind of. Oh maybe okay. a little more firm than that.
1: Okay. Wow. That's wild to see.
2: Yeah, so that's the Olympics.
1: Yeah. You're not interested in that?
2: I mean I I would have been if I was like ten years younger. <laughs> You've passed. There's no way I could qualify for the Olympics. Really?
1: (laughs) No way. Why? Why do you say that?
2: Because it's it's such a different. It's a different. It's almost like a different sport. Understand. And you, it takes like the dedication to only doing Mm. that for years and years and years. And I did that throughout my teenage years, and then I kind of moved on to other things.
1: I would imagine that hand strength is one of the most important things, like the ability to hang on to stuff.
2: Yeah, that's why I, I, like, travel with my hangboard and hang all the time and, like, do a lot
1: of... (laughs) Where do you put the hangboard when you travel? Like, door... Uh, door?
2: Yeah, I bring those uh, pull-up bars that Mm -hmm. you, like, screw on between the door jam and then I hang it from there.
1: Wow, and then you just hang. So if you're staying in a hotel, you just, like, hang in the bathroom wall Mm -hmm. on the door? Yeah. Wow. And do you do it for time? Do you do reps? Do you chin-ups? What do you do on that? Yeah,
2: all of that. There's like little, there's exercises you can do. There's a lot of research now that's been done on (laughs) finger strength. So that's um, one
1: of the things you use like that? Yeah.
2: The one I have is wood because the wood is actually a little bit friendlier for your skin. Mm. Um, But yeah, similar. You do different hand positions and sometimes you'll hang for like, five seconds and then take 10 seconds off and do it again and then sometimes you put weight on your one. body
1: mono yeah what? mono someone can hang from one finger
2: people can do crazy stuff people can do pull-ups from one finger what
1: one hand one finger pull-ups Yeah, people
2: can do front levers from like one finger there's all c- climbers a, are amazing Climbers are a super front lever when you like put your body to um oh parallel when you lean back oh yeah. christ I bet you could find a video of that. (laughs) Sure
1: you could. I'm nervous now. So someone can... There it is. Oh, my God.
2: I can't do that. That
1: is freaky. Jan Hoger is a beastie single finger plank man machine. (laughs) Yeah. I would agree with that statement. Look at that. That's crazy that he can do that. Yeah. That guy must have ridiculous fingers. He's
2: one of the strongest climbers in the world.
1: Yeah, I yeah. would imagine. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's bananas. Yeah, oh, is this him climbing stuff with no feet? Uh huh. Yeah. yeah, that's um. The the tendons and all the stuff in your fingers and your hands, like they must be ridiculous. So but you could. Sc- those are pinkies, yeah. Oh my god, that's crazy. I
3: just heard something. If you lost your pinky, you lose fifty percent of the strength in your hand.
1: Really?
2: Oh.
3: Yeah. I didn't. I don't have confirmation on that. It's one of those like Snapple fact type facts I saw on the internet recently. But How's that
1: possible?
2: Oh, that's a bummer.
1: What doesn't seem right? Because when I draw my bow back, I'm only using three fingers. But,
2: but maybe it's like the way it's and, all connected. It you know? doesn't
1: feel weak at all. I think it's
3: like if you cut it off, not like if you've done uh, other work like to strengthen the rest of your hand or your. I guess I'm drawing it, my bow
1: back. I'm barely using. I mean, yeah, my hand I is know. just kind of locked in place. I just saw the pinkies. It's more my back and shoulders, but I feel like that's not real. Huh? Maybe, maybe. Yeah, it's but it's all like linked off. back into here, you right? Know? Yeah, right. And your forearms it's and everything. Like, yeah, that's what makes sense. Yeah. Well, you squeeze it. Your pinky provides half <laughs> you your know. hand strength. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Stick your pinkies out and raise your glasses to toast your fifth finger. Without it, your hand would be half as strong. Wow. That's weird. The that things are connected in in that way. Yeah. You know, it's there's a sort of it's a unit it's not one thing there's a lot going on yeah it's all working together yeah so when you do your hand strength exercises do you have like a routine where you go one two three four you'll work all of them or
2: yeah i do i tend to do um like hand grip positions like i'll hold on to something like this and i'll hold on to something like this and i'll hold on to something like this
1: so you must have like ridiculous hands
2: i mean my hands are strong but they're not like that's one of my weaknesses I think in climbing is my finger strength. So I'm do, always working on it.
1: Do you have to make sure that you your body weight is very light when you do something like that too? Like do you diet down before you do something to make sure that you're as light as possible?
2: Yeah, it's an it's an interesting subject because climbing is like a strength to weight ratio sport. Yeah. It does benefit you to be lighter, but at the same time um it's really easy to take it too far. And I think right. Um and then once you take it too far, it, it's it can be very bad, like then you're injuries, weaker. Yeah. weaker um, and it, eating disorders is like kind of a yeah, it's definitely a thing in climbing. Yeah, that's um, what I was going to get to. That's and I suffered from it when I was younger, when I was in comp- heavily involved in competitions. Like, and it's like once you start to experience a little bit of success from losing weight, like there's so much more incentive to just like keep going down that road. Mm. Um, and I think it's actually a pretty dangerous road, and it's something that we're climbers are starting to talk about more, which I think is, is super good and super healthy. Um, especially like with the growth of climbing competitions and with the growth of, of youth, like becoming more interested in climbing.
1: Right. That, that the edge that you get from doing that is not worth pursuing because there's a lot of negative drawbacks to It, it. it.
2: It is. And it's pretty temporary and it's not very sustainable. And you know, in a lot of ways I feel lucky that I came out of that period and like kept climbing. Because it's hard, it's hard to, to go through that phase and then sort of come out of it and have to deal with like not climbing as well for a while. And what does that mean? And mm. how, you know, it's it's kind of a mind fuck. Um, and so that's why that's why why I talk about data the way I do. Because sometimes it's like I just can't, I can't like emotionally handle it. I need to like take a step back and just be intuitive.
1: Mm. Yeah. Sometimes there's too much data and yeah. not enough just being.
2: Yeah. And I yeah. was one of those I was one of those athletes when I was younger that I was like obsessed with the number on the scale. I was obsessed with how much I ate. I was obsessed with every little thing and it got to the point where it just almost destroyed me. If that makes sense.
1: That's a giant problem with people, right? Like yeah. the just in general being obsessed with the scale and yeah. and the numbers. Yeah. And if you're in a, a sport where you're literally carrying your body weight up mm-hmm. a mountain, it's not just like so many girls are obsessed with the scale for whatever reason, even if they look good, they don't like the number. Like you look great, but you weigh 145 pounds like shit, I hate that. I want to be 135. Like, but you don't like this yeah. is crazy. Like, what are you doing?
2: Yeah, I think it's complicated because then I think, yeah, society, especially as a woman, you, you kind of tie yeah. your self-worth to it and then you tie like your yeah your value to society to it and then if you bring in the athletic side it's like a lot to handle yeah um so yeah that's something i've i mean i still struggle with it
1: it's so interesting there's this woman who is on instagram i forget her name but she's a beast and i mean that in the best way she's just a fucking tank she's so strong and i don't know what she does some sort of fitness trainer or something like that but she got on a scale to show that she's 180 pounds yeah. And she's like, I'm 180 pounds all went. She looks fantastic. Like, there's no doubt about it. She's in amazing shape. But she's a big gal. But by getting on that scale and showing, like, hey, like, fuck your numbers. Yeah. Like I was like, that is that is great and very and it sounds so crazy to say, especially as a man that it's brave of her to show her weight because men don't give a fuck. Like, if you're 180, or, if a man's 180 or 170 or one, like, no, unless you're trying to get big, you don't care, or unless you're yeah. trying to lose weight. Like, no guy says, oh, no woman's gonna like me. I'm, you know, 195 instead of 170. Uh, like, that's nonsense. No guy thinks like that. Like, yeah. a number. Like, you have to, like, no one wants, I don't want anybody to know my number. Like, but for a woman, that's a big issue. It's
2: a big issue, for sure. And it's like, I mean, I don't weigh myself anymore because I'm just like, right. I don't, I don't need to deal with that.
1: It's common for women <laughs> that have had those issues yeah. that just decide, you know what, I'm just going to be healthy yeah. and look good and not think about yeah, it. Yeah, and yeah. And I've
2: that's one of the things that's been, there's a lot of things that I actually don't like about social media, but that's one thing that I've really appreciated is like women like you're talking about, like sharing those things and being like, yeah, this is who I am. I
1: like, think she gets this is, this enough likes. Yeah. Like, that she it's gets, okay. Yeah. Yeah. She's, she's hot. <laughs> you know, like she knows what she's doing. Like she's kind of being brave, but also. Yeah. That's she's fair. she gets enough compliments, mm-hmm. but you know she's like six foot one or something <laughs> like that. But she's a tank. Yeah. Um. But I just I admired that she put that number out there. She showed it, and mm-hmm. she was like, "Look, this is who I am." Yeah. And for a lot of people, that's important because there's probably people that are struggling with their own weight, and they see her, and they go, "Oh, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a little of that. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna I'm gonna adopt a little bit of that attitude, and just." Just don't worry about the number, but yeah. pe- people get obsessed with stuff like that. It's so it's so interesting because it's so dis- it's so sad you know, when when you see people that are anorexic. Like there was a woman that was anorexic in my yoga class, and um, I vividly remember being in class, you know, laying down the mat and looking over and just go <gasps> like, oh no! Like being th- looking at this girl who was like a skeleton. Like mm-hmm. what do you say that she was only she was young, right? Mm-hmm. She's probably in her twenties. And I'm looking at her and I'm thinking, shit. And then I asked the yoga instructor who was my friend, I said, Do you know her? Like, what is her deal? She's like, Yeah, she's you know, she's struggling and she doesn't think she is and it's a real issue and I don't know what to do. And I'm like, What you can't even say anything. Like, what do you say?
2: Yeah, it's hard to I think it's hard to to talk about because it's not really talked about. And that's not sense. my place. Like,
1: I don't know her. Yeah That's so personal. It's to- super
2: personal and I think it's it's a tricky subject for sure. Like I've had people come to me and be like, "What do I do?" Like I have a friend who,
1: yeah. you know, it
2: seems like they're struggling and it's it's hard because going through it myself, it was whenever people brought it up, you get very defensive. Yeah. Um and it's really easy to be like, "Well, I'm I don't have a problem. I'm fine." You know, like it's it's, you know, I'm doing this for my sport. This is what I need to do. This is how it needs to be. And so I think it's a struggle sort of like navigating how to deal with that, especially with, you know, friends and family or something like that. But I think, you know, I think just overall shifting the culture behind it is maybe a possible solution.
1: You know? when, you're, um, when you're training for something big like this, do you alter your diet? Do you have specific foods that you eat when you train? Or do you just always maintain a healthy diet?
2: I'm pretty healthy. I also... Um, because of, of my past like obsessiveness about food, I try to not worry about it too much. Um, also because I travel so much and I love food and I love sharing food and cooking food and eating food. It's just um I don't like I don't necessarily worry too much about what I eat. I'm a very healthy eater. I like everything. Um I I don't I try not to worry about it too much. If I wanna eat ice cream, I eat ice cream.
1: Good for you. <laughs> now, when you go on a, a long climb like that, do you carb load before you do it? Do you carry a lot of food with you? Or yeah, you- I
2: carry a lot of food with me. It's hard for me to eat on the wall. It's hard for me to like, because I get nervous. Mm, yeah. I get nervous, you lose your appetite and all those things. Um, and so I try to bring like simple foods with me on the wall. Um, and like a mix of fat, just, a, you know, well balanced and easy. I don't usually bring like meals. Like I actually brought a burrito on the wall the day that I was going to climb and I didn't eat any of it.
1: <laughs> so you didn't eat it all while you were on the wall or you just didn't eat the burrito? I didn't eat the burrito. I ate, ate like cereal
2: and nuts and beef jerky and candy because I love candy.
1: But it's probably good too to get some extra sugar, right? Yeah, that's exactly yeah. why. Yeah, and, and replace the glycogen in your mm-hmm. muscles. And So what is your diet like normally? Like what kind of foods do you eat? When you say you eat healthy, do you
2: yeah i i eat super healthy i love um like i i love like pancakes in the morning but like with protein and avocado toast and you know eggs whatever salad you're burning off an
1: insane amount of calories doing that too
2: sometimes it depends on you know it depends on what you're doing if you're free climbing all cap in a day then yes but if you're just going to the gym for an hour and a half, or if you're just hanging on the hang board.
1: Like if you have a one, like I see you have some sort of a fitness watch on. What do you What are you wearing? Oh, there? I
2: have this. Um, it's new actually. Adrian got it for me. It's Yo, a Adrian. Garmin. It's like a Phoenix Sapphire. Oh, yeah. cool.
1: It's sweet looking. Thanks. um <laughs> Does that measure um, output, calories, heart rate? It's Is meant
2: it? to. Yeah, it mes- It measures your heart rate. I use it for like my running and stuff.
1: I'd be so curious to see how many calories you burn on a 21 hour trip. Up the side of a mountain.
2: I'd imagine thousands. thousands. But that's the thing. I don't wear it when I climb because you put your hands in the cracks. Of course. And they get all stuck.
1: Right. That's right. I should so. have thought of that. Um, yeah. The, but the amount, like, it's also like a mental thing too, right? Your mind must be burning a shit ton of calories too. Yeah.
2: I think there's a lot of mental fatigue that goes on.
1: We were talking the other day about uh, chess masters and that when chess masters play in these tournaments, they burn 6,000 calories a day. Really? Yeah, they found out that these guys were losing incredible amounts of weight uh, over a weekend. Because sh-
2: like, Just thinking.
1: Just thinking. I could see that. Yeah, I mean, I guess it makes sense, but your brain, when you're calculating like all these different maneuvers and different places that your opponent can move his pieces, you're just constantly... <laughs> you yeah. get all these RPMs going, even though you're sitting there, mm-hmm. your body's just burning off fuel.
2: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, actually. So
1: I'd imagine... Some of that's going on too with you because you're physically climbing, but you're also thinking, you're calculating, you're trying to stay calm. You're, you, there's a lot going on. There's a lot going on. Yeah. Yeah. Do you meditate? Do you have any
2: um, mental
1: exercises that you participate in?
2: I, I visualize. Um, so I'm one of those people. Like I can, I can almost remember every move of like the Golden Gate. So, and I'll like go, th- I'll like lay in bed at night and like go through all the moves over mm. and over and over again, almost to a fault, you know, like I can remember things really well and I'll go over sequences and I'll, I'll lay down and I'll think about myself climbing, like executing these sequences really perfectly. Um,
1: so you know where that, all the but... handholds are, mm-hmm. where the footholds are, you know, what freaks me out about that stuff It's like, don't those break off sometimes?
2: Yeah, it, it happens occasionally. Yep. It depends on the like, hype. The type of rock, like some rock is more prone to breaking than other. The way you types said that's
1: way too casual. But it doesn't yeah, happen. Yeah, it happens occasionally. Occasionally,
2: <laughs> not very often. Um, yeah, and especially like the well-traveled
1: routes. Yeah, you know, they don't have. What as if much. some giant person was on it before you, and they yeah, put their heavy ass on that handhold?
2: Yeah, sometimes I worry about that.
1: <laughs> I would imagine. Yeah, and then you go to grab it, then, and like r-
2: breaking my snap. yeah.
1: So I was looking at some of the things that Alex was holding on to when he was free soloing and I'm like what 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 are you doing that's not yeah, holding your body right man
2: yeah that's you know that that rock is pretty solid though and a lot of people like climb that route and it's it's been there for you know
0: <laughs> forever
1: and when you're when you're imagining it in your head do you like sit yourself down and go through the whole because I I mean, the path takes 21 hours to do, so you can't really go through the whole thing.
2: Yeah. I mean, I skip over some of the easy parts, but the hard parts I have like really ingrained in my brain Um, to the point where I think it's kind of hinders me sometimes because I'll go through all the, I'll go through the moves and then I'll go through all the things that can go wrong. Um, And then that kind of messes with me a little bit. Do you write it down? I have written it down too. Yeah. You
1: know, like draw the Mm -hmm. path?
2: I draw it out. Only I can understand it, but I draw it out.
1: It's sort of a Emily code. Yeah, it's like yeah.
2: I just like try to draw the holds, and then I I write where my feet go and where my hands go.
1: Do you think of this career that you are currently involved in as a life journey? Is this gonna gonna be something that you do your whole life? Yes. So you are a climber. Yes. Do you have any other ideas of things that you would like to do in this life, or you just this is your career no matter what?
2: I mean. I think at this point this is my career i'm pretty well established as a professional rock climber and i feel um I, yeah i'm not bored i this is what i want i, there I have, i'm super excited for future opportunities for future objectives and goals and things like that and adrian and i have sort of like built this life together um
1: did you meet him climbing
2: i did i met him on uh, i met him on mount everest oh yeah <laughs> It's, both up to risking sweet. our lives. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, and he has a he has a guide he has a guiding business alongside his professional athlete career. Um and so, yeah, I feel like we've just built this we've built this life together and we're we're both super passionate and supportive of each other and um, you know, and I I want to have a fa- I think we want to have a family someday. It's so really cool that
1: thing. you're involved with someone who has the same passion too. Like they they'll understand you. Yeah,
2: it's, it's super important. And it, it's important because, you know, both of us go away on, on, on separate trips sometimes. And, you know, instead of the other person just like sitting at home, kind of like worrying and stressing out, you know, we kind of understand what the other person is going through. Um, It just, it feels like we have a really like symbiotic relationship in that way, because we really do understand what the other person
1: does beyond i mean no other person is ever a person who doesn't climb at all i I would imagine
2: it'd be hard i think yeah well not impossible
1: but my female friends that are comedians have the sort of same attitude about normies what they call normies like some normal person mm-hmm. who doesn't do comedy. like okay. They're never going to understand them. Right. Like like just that thing. I have some female friends, like my friend Eliza Schlesinger. She has a husband who's a chef and they were it works out great. Uh-huh. But a lot of them, they'll try like regular people and they wind up dating comedians because like no one's yeah. going to understand them. We
2: have the same joke in climbing, I think. It's like yeah. people always say like, oh, I'd really like to not date a climber. But then it's like, well, then you got to like go do other things besides climbing. <laughs>
1: Right. How, what are you, you going to do? Them?
2: Where are you going to meet those people? And then when you meet them, what are you going to do with them?
1: <laughs> exactly. Right. Like, <laughs>
2: like, where are you going to go? You going to go out to eat? I guess. Yeah. Hey, cute. I'm going to
1: go climb for twenty hours. What are you doing today, Bob?
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, I thought we could hang out. Yeah, exactly. Okay, well, come climb with me, bitch. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. The the Mount Everest thing is an odd one, right? Because it yeah. seems to be uh, sort of um, there's it's like a, a weird. Sort of bucket list thing That's also attached to Like a social There's like a social medal to uh, oh I climbed Everest yeah you know?
2: I have a Very intense love hate relationship with Mount Everest mm. um, it is like I, I was very fortunate To be able to go on an expedition to Climb Mount Everest and that's where I met Adrian And you know my life sort of Changed directions after that um, But that said like he goes back to Everest every single year Oof. So to guide or for his own personal projects or, or whatever that may be, um, because he, he, he guides Everest every year. And uh, and so for me, it's like Everest just became like a, a part of a part of my everyday life. Like it's always you're always planning for the next expedition or on the expedition or or thinking about the expedition. And so it's like it it just kind of took over in a way for a few years there. And I got really, really tired of
1: it. How many times have you climbed Everest?
2: I've only climbed it once. Adrian's climbed it eight times.
1: how many bodies did you see
2: um that's a common question I get uh and it it's there are bodies on everest um I maybe saw like two or three um
1: yeah that is one of the most wild things yeah it's, about everest
2: it is wild it it's something that um I think people in that world are pretty accustomed to um but
1: that's a crazy thing it to be accustomed to. Yeah. And the thing about it. If your it, yeah. buddy leaves, you're like, he's, he's, we lost him. It's over. He's right there. <laughs> he's right there. No, no, it's over. Leave him. You got to go. No, no, no. He's right there. I could touch him. Like, I'm going to reach down. Yeah. I'm touching his head. Yeah. He's gone, man. We got to let him go. He's breathing. Yeah. And he's right there. Yeah. He's dead. You got to let yeah. him go. Like, what? What, are you, what are you talking about? There's more than a hundred bodies laying yeah. on Mount Everest. Yeah, but there's an open de- debate whether to remove them or leave them be. Fucking leave them.
2: Yeah, that's kind of what I. Yeah, it's it's actually super, super dangerous. Is the thing to remove bodies from an ever- Mount Everest? Like you're putting other people in danger to yeah. get them down.
1: And what's the point? And exactly. also, I think there's something about like the guy, the first guy to ever climb Everest, is still up there, right? Uh, what's that guy's potentially, name?
2: Potentially, it's kind of like a great mystery. Oh,
1: really? Yeah. Well, because he vanished.
2: Um, no, there's a. So, um, the, the mystery of whether or not Mallory and Irvine summited Mount Everest is still like, it's still out there. Oh, they might not have ever actually made it to the top. So, okay. So the first, the first, I don't want to mess this up. The first ascent of Mount Everest happened in like the fifties, I think. Uh, But there's this argument that maybe it happened way back in like the 1920s because there was an expedition to Everest, George Mallory and Sandy Irvine, like went out to go climb Mount Everest and they essentially disappeared. Um, and it's still a question as to whether or not they summited.
1: So this is someone who has to, Is this people that have actually done it, Jamie? <coughs> this is a list of so people who are supposedly George died Mallory,
2: planning. George and Mallory oh. and Sandy Irvine set out to climb Mount Everest in 1924. And they essentially disappeared. But nobody's sure if they summited and died on the way down or if they died on the way up.
0: Because oh. if they summited and died on the way
2: down, then they're the first people to summit. Right. And so people are still looking. They actually found George Mallory's body in the 90s. Um, and as the story goes, he was meant to like leave a photo of his wife on the summit, so he carried a photo
0: in his
1: jacket. possible ice axe injury following a fall. Body found yeah. in 1999. <gasps> Yikes!
2: So people are still looking for Irvine because apparently he had a camera.
1: Oh wow! Yeah. So if you find the camera, do you think the footage would be fucked?
2: I don't know. That's another question.
1: See, if there's a photo of Mallory's body, Jamie. It's (laughs) kind of dark because you see his porcelain white frozen skin exposed (laughs) by the sun. And he's face down, I believe. I think that's the photo I'm thinking of. And he's got these old timey clothes on, too. So it's like, that's it. That's the photo right there. That is rough, man. That photo <laughs> freaks me the fuck out every time I look at it, because that guy is rock solid frozen there, like like a piece of stone, and he will be there unless climate change melts his ass, <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean that is fucking crazy. It's just it's look at his shoes have rotted off. Oh my god, you can see his his the bones of his foot and everything. Yeah, that is hardcore.
2: Yeah. It was a long time ago. Oh yeah. I mean the the equipment they had back then was like nothing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I know. What kind of clothes were they wearing? Just probably wool. Yeah, right? exactly. No. Yeah. It's um I think it's there's a tradition to leaving the bodies there that I think there's something about people that are doing it that know they're risking their life, like that's an affirmation, like, hey, there's a guy that didn't make it. Like yeah. you, what you're doing is crazy. It's really hard. So I think this is, it's one of the rare moments in life where I think it's probably there's some beauty to leaving a dead body
2: yeah. on the spot. Yeah, yeah, also yeah, and also it just like makes sense. It seems fitting. Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, it's also everybody's doing that. I mean, those does not other than the few douchebags that are just doing it for social cred. Like, there's a lot of people that are just, what they're doing is, they, they've decided to test themselves in one of the most extreme ways possible. Mm-hmm. You're literally risking your life to reach the highest spot, or not the highest, but one of the highest spots on Earth. It's not the yeah. highest, no, right? No, it's the highest. Is Everest the highest? Yeah. But is K2 the highest in terms of its relation to the ocean or sea level? Like,
2: no, that's, that's something different.
1: It's different?
2: K2 is the second highest. But K2 is considered significantly more technical and
1: dangerous than Uh. Everest.
2: Actually, there's a lot of mountains that are considered more difficult and dangerous than Mount Everest.
1: And when a guy decides, like, hey, you know, I want to show off and be the man who climbs Mount Everest in my neighborhood. Do do they have a requirement, like how much they have to train for something like that? Because I know of rich people that are not really climbers that have climbed Everest.
2: Yeah, so... Everest is really, it's it's a really interesting one um, because it's a very, it's, Everest has become very commercialized. Um, so there's a lot yeah. of companies that guide Mount Everest, including Adrian's company. Um, What's Adrian's company's name? So his can company is called Alpenglow Expeditions. Alpenglow. Alpenglow Expeditions. Okay. It's going to be they so have a website? Psyched. Yes, they do. What is the website? Alpenglowexpeditions.com. Okay. <laughs> you can sign up. You can go anywhere in the world, basically, and go, go climb. Go climb with Adrian. Yeah. <laughs> um, so there's a bunch of companies that guide Mount Everest from both sides. There, there is. it is. There there's is. the website. Are you
1: backcountry ready? Yeah. yeah.
2: Back, we're getting ready for backcountry ski season. Mm. Um, and and the guiding guiding on Mount Everest has become like very pretty lucrative. Um, and there's guiding from the Chinese side and from the Nepal side, and both of those governments obviously benefit from that. Um, and so from from the Nepal side, it's a little bit less. Essentially, it's just up to the companies who who they take and who they don't take. So, for Alpenglow, for instance, you do need previous requirements in order to climb Mount Everest. You have to have climbed another eight thousand meter peak and have gone through, you know, some climbing, some rock climbing skills schools. But then other companies will just take anyone if you have the money and if you can mm. pay for it. And that's where a lot of the issues on Mount Everest arise, is because you have a lot of inexperienced people up there. And you have a lot of inexperienced guiding going on. And and it's not regulated by the government or anything like that. Like a lot of mountains in, in the world are regulated by the country that they're in. Like Denali, for example. Um, and so the companies have to abide by a certain set of regulations. But in um, Mount Everest, it's not really like that. So it's a little bit of a free-for-all. So that's why you hear about like the crowds and the lines and the the dead bodies and the people dying, a lot of that is due to inexperience.
1: Yeah, I can only imagine. Yeah. But experienced people die too, right?
2: Experienced people do die, but less so. Like, for for example, like, when Adrian goes to Everest, I do not worry about it. What? No. Not at all? Not even a little bit. Wow. (laughs) Because he uses oxygen. That's another thing, like, Mm. using oxygen versus not using oxygen. The one time I did worry about him, he climbed Everest without oxygen, which is infinitely more difficult and more dangerous. Um... And so, yeah, experienced people do die up there, but less, less so.
1: Wim Hof climbed Mount Everest with sandals on, and shorts. It's
2: the guy with the that goes in the
1: the yeah the breathing guy. Man. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I met him. Yeah, we did a he, little he, clinic with him. He said it's too easy. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's a character. Oh, he's a freak. He's a yeah. real freak, like yeah. a legitimate freak of nature. And and Will, like he's uh, he has the. Is, does he have the world record for swimming under ice? He's got some crazy record for swimming under ice. And there he is. Yeah. Climbing Everest, fucking sandals on with an ice pick, no oxygen in shorts.
2: Wait, is that really? One? Wow, that's oh, yeah. crazy. I've never oh, seen that photo.
1: Dude, he's a freak. Like, he's a legit freak. Yeah. Yeah,
2: he's another one that's got some sort of different, different wavelength of mental strength.
1: Well, it is mental strength, but it's also breathing. Yeah, the breathing thing. breathing exercises. Breathing exercises are so strange because you think, well, I breathe. Everybody breathes. But you don't realize, here it is, Hoff has set the world record for the longest time in direct full body contact with ice a total of 16 times, including one hour, 42 minutes, and 22 seconds on the 23rd of January, one hour, 44 minutes. But this is a different uh, record. He did something where he swam under ice, he swam uh, in the ocean um, They cut a hole in the ice And he swam under it to another place Yeah, 57.5 meters He set the Guinness World Record For the farthest swim under ice 57 fucking meters under ice Jesus, that's long <laughs> that's
2: Yeah, have you ever done Like those ice bath things?
1: No, I've done cryotherapy which is okay. But it's easy, it's three minutes Yeah but those ice bath it takes things. your
2: It takes your breath yeah. away. It's really hard.
1: I don't even like cold showers. No. When I lived in Boston, there was a guy at my uh, taekwondo gym. His name was Bob Caffarella. Everybody was scared of him because he was like uh, an advanced black belt. And he would shower in the winter in Boston in cold water. So he'd it's get done training. Feet, right? Yeah, it's really good for you. But I didn't think it was good for you. I thought it was just a – for him, it was just uh, – <laughs> like a mental strength thing Mm -hmm. he would just get in the water he lived in the gym like literally lived in the gym and taught out of the gym like he was super dedicated but he would turn the cold water on and just get in that cold everybody was like what are you doing we're all scared of him because his his (laughs) mind was so strong they could because boston is cold as shit that water is barely not frozen and so he's in there with like 33 degree water just having it pour all over his body after training yeah
2: that's pretty cool. I mean, I think that is, a, there is a test. There is something to learn there. Like the mind over yes. matter thing.
1: Yeah. And also learning that it's actually beneficial for you and that uh, you really do get something out of it. That uh, norepinephrine gets jacked through the roof. When you mm. get out of there, you feel amazing. Yeah. Like oh, cryotherapy. Like I had uh, Dr. Ronja Patrick and I took her to a cryotherapy place in Woodland Hills back when we were in LA and, uh, she had never done it before but she was aware of the hormetic effects and so as a doctor she was really interested in as a clinical research researchers interested in like what it felt like for her body and she got out of there she's like this is amazing she starts rattling off all the things that are actually happening to your body i'm like wow what a good person to bring to a cryotherapy place like someone who actually understands the physiological benefits and is experiencing them and then relaying them to you as she's experiencing them wow yeah it's pretty intense have you ever done those cryotherapy places i've
2: never been to one of those. <laughs>
1: The real good ones, I mean, they're all good for you. We have one here. We actually have a tank here. But it's one of these like below the neck. The the really good ones is the whole body.
2: Your whole, like even your
1: Yes, everything. Because the ones below, what they're using is liquid nitrogen. You can't breathe it in. If you breathe it Mm -hmm. in, you'll black out. And people have actually died doing that. Mm -hmm. Like where they've had no supervision and then set it up themselves and... The, the ones that they do at Cryo Healthcare in Woodland Hills and in LA, those are all freezing the air. So they're using the liquid nitrogen to freeze the air and get the air down to 250 degrees below zero. And then they pump this freezing cold air in the room and you could breathe it in. So you wear a mask, a surgical mask you would okay. wear with COVID. You wear earmuffs. You wear mittens on your hands, and uh, you have to wear underwear, and you wear socks and like rubber Crocs. That's one.
3: That's
1: actually yeah. a big one. Oh but. wow. Oh, that's interesting. I've never seen one that big. Is that out here? I, it may be. There's apparently one out here like that that does uh, full body.
2: Does it feel like unbearably cold? Oh yeah. Mm. Okay. Oh yeah.
1: Mm. Yeah. Does. You've done it. Yeah. Was it, <laughs> it feeling? Yeah, it's fucking cold. How many times have you done it? Three times, maybe. Yeah, it's
3: just you're listening. You, you can't wait for the song to end because you know you get the fuck out of there.
1: Yeah, oh, wow. I have, I have okay. certain songs that I listen to, like that I like. I know I'm going to be freezing my ass off. And like, you just do three minutes. Three minutes. Okay. Yeah, but I did. The there's a guy who was working there that he was always trying to see how much I can endure because he's like, I think you can do more. I'm like, let's see. Like, it's just a glutton for punishment sort of thing. So I got to three minutes and forty seconds. That's the most I've ever done. Wow. It's not enjoyable, and I do it twice too. I do it, and then I take uh, like ten minutes off for my body to recharge, and then I go back in again. And supposedly that has there's a significant benefit in doing it two times. Huh? Yeah.
2: Do you do it like before training or after training, or is it? I do it after training,
1: but you really should put a a large uh, buffer. Just for the, the like, to, there's there's a great benefit in your body being heated up and your body's natural healing and recovering. And mm-hmm. there's a lot of benefit. There's a lot of uh, debate, rather, as to how much time you should spend, uh, like post workout, before you get in an ice bath. And that mm-hmm. same applies. That same th- thought process applies to cryotherapy. A sauna, on the other hand, they think you should do right after training. Mm -hmm. So if you go, like, I'll I'll train, and then I'll get in a 185-degree sauna, like, right away. So I'll turn the sauna on before I work out, and then when I'm done with working out, I go right into the sauna. And they think that that conveys an additional benefit that's similar to continuing a workout. So um, increase in red blood cells and an and, and increase that in almost, ma- almost mimics a low level of blood doping. So okay. you get an increased benefit in your cardiovascular mm-hmm. uh, your capability. And then you also get the heat shock proteins that reduce inflammation. So you feel really good. So you can do that right after training, but they don't recommend ice baths or cryo. They used to think you should do it right afterwards, and now they don't think so. They think you should wait a couple hours, especially strength training. Interesting. Yeah, but it's cold as fuck when you're 250 (coughs) degrees below zero. You can't believe how cold it is. You're like, what is this? So it's
2: colder than like an
1: ice bath then. Oh, yeah. But not – I don't know if it's as uncomfortable.
2: Yeah, because the ice bath thing yeah. was really cold with Wim Hof. We had to get in it and like sing um, Twinkle, Twinkle Little Star or something. <laughs> and then we were like allowed to get out.
1: <laughs> That's hilarious. Did you do a seminar with him or something? Yeah,
2: it was like uh, the North Face has these, they call them athlete summits. And um, mm. so we all get together for a few days and do activities and like team building stuff. And Wim Hof came to one of them and he like did the whole the whole seminar, mm. and we had these kiddie pools with ice in them, and we all had to get in and sing Twinkle Twinkle Little Star.
1: <laughs> well, there's a thing that you can get now that we're going to get here for the studio that is, uh, it's an ice bath, but it's, you don't have to add ice to it. It's a machine, and the machine chills the water right, bo- right to the point where it would freeze. And so wow. you get to right about 33, 34 degrees, and then you climb in this ridiculous, re- Take you lastly cold water, and everybody says that that's a better uh option because then you don't have to go to the gas station and buy a bunch just of bags of bunch. ice every time you do it.
2: <laughs> yeah, that makes sense.
1: Because my friends that have like just a a tub, and they just throw it. Like every time you do that, you got to go to the gas station or wherever you get your ice from. Yeah, buy a ton of ice. Yeah. Do you do any kind of like? Do you wear like NormaTech boots or anything like that? Do you have any
2: norma tech boots what are
1: those those are those things that like a lot oh, the of runners things you put, put on. on that compression jamie you just did it right uh-huh. it's yeah, pretty dope right yeah, yeah. no Very i've seen nice.
2: that i don't do that no
1: yeah I've, i have them i need to use them they sent them to me i gotta put them on but jamie you really liked it right yeah how um, long did you wear it for
3: uh it recommends to do what is it like 20 to 60 minutes i think i just did 30 just to, just to try it but and then i did another 45 minute session the next day
1: did, it, did you feel better when you got out of them? Like, what does it feel like? I,
3: I just, I love the feeling of it. Like, a leg massaged, I, if, if someone could massage my leg all day long, I'd pay an ungodly amount of money probably for it. All it's day just, long? I think I have restless leg syndrome, which may or may not be accurate, or I, I've looked up how i have it or why oh, i have it. What is that? What is reckless? I don't like, know. Have you,
1: you know what that is? Yeah, Restless? I've heard of it,
2: but the I don't think it, i have it. It's
3: funny, i just said reckless
1: leg syndrome, <laughs> yeah. which is even more ridiculous. <laughs> but what it how did, it
3: just the feeling of it bothers the shit. It's really hard to explain. That's why some people, I I think people don't think it's real cuz it's uh like i just can't sit still, i can't keep my legs still. I feel like i have to kick them or they're move still them. still right now. Right now it's not bothering me, but like sometimes at night if i'll be sitting to try to watch tv, i can't keep my leg comfortable
1: is that why you like running
3: i thought running helped it which i the most Makes recent sense. time i did it i ran and I, I it bothered me at night and i was like well it doesn't fix it but that's what hmm. it seems like it is it's like you're not moving enough during the day you have some build up and that's what it is but uh, i don't think that's what it is and there's got to be studies that people have looked into that but either way
1: have you ever tried bodyweight squats uh
3: Yep, there's it doesn't not, do it. There is not a thing I've found to fix this, and I, I've had it since I was like 12. And I told my dad, he's like, "Shut up, you don't have that." There's like commercials that would come up, pop up on TV for yeah. like some pills for it or something. And I'm like, "Dad, can we try the thing?" And he's like, "No, you're fine. Go, you're a kid. Don't be an idiot." But these things, the Norma Tech boots, I've always I've seen them like that's gonna be the most amazing fix for that feeling. It was. I mean, I'm not saying like I'm a doctor, everyone should get them, but. I so after you
1: feeling. did it did it alleviate that feeling yeah yeah yeah. and every yeah. time i'm gonna have
3: it for now on i was like time to put the boots on and lay down whatever and i'll be probably
1: fine and but... what's dope is you can put the boots on and just watch tv mm-hmm, right
3: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Huh. it's not that loud the machine's not loud it's battery powder things you can probably t- i thought i had to leave it in the wall it's not you can take it anywhere
1: Oh, pretty cool. So you never mess with any of that? No. No, we get some sent mean, to you.
2: Maybe I should.
0: Yeah. No, right. we get some sent to you.
1: <laughs> um, but you use a little ball. I love that. I use a lacrosse the, the, ball. Those it's are so phenomenal. Easy. Yeah. Just travel with it. Yeah. Love them. It's yeah. awesome. And you can really dig in with those suckers, yeah. especially if you got a good hardwood floor. Yeah. You can really like lay on your back and just.
2: Yeah, the one you, that gets me is like the hip flexor. Mm-hmm. If you lay on that.
1: Yeah. yeah. it's Super painful. Um. How flexibility has got to be very important. You said you were really flexible because you're a gymnast, right? Yeah. And you don't have a routine where you like a daily stretch routine. You no,
2: do? no. I I do stretch. I, I have like one of those yoga glow membership things, and I'll. What does that mean? What's like a I yoga have a, glow? Yoga glow is like a a website that you go to, and it's like you can watch a video of like a yoga class basically. And I'm really bad at going to yoga classes. I actually don't like. I'll go to the climbing gym, but I don't like going to any other type of gym. (laughs) I don't know why. I just like to do it alone. Yeah, I'm like very much into doing it alone. Like, I don't like to go lift weights in front of people. I'm just like a little bit, I guess, shy about stuff like Hmm. that. So I just do it in my home. I have like weights and I have, I do yoga by myself in front of the screen. But I also don't like going to classes because they're just too long. And I don't think I have the attention span sometimes for a full class. So in order to get myself to do it, I'll log into this website and I'll be like, I'm going to do 15 minutes of hip stretches and I'll Mm. just do that. And that's how I get myself to do it. Because otherwise I just, I'm just not good at sticking with it.
1: (laughs) That's so crazy for a person who went all the way up a mountain in a day. Well,
2: I can stick with certain things.
1: Well, you seem very self-motivated, obviously, if you're doing all your training yourself and making your routines yourself. So is that like a thing where you don't, Want other people motivating you, or other people like guiding the exercise? Because then you're not relying on intuition; you're relying on someone to tell you what to do.
2: No, I actually love I love training with other people and climbing with other people, um, especially other women. And it's just so happens that like a lot of t- like they don't live in the same hometown as me. And Great, so but there's a difference
1: between training with other people and being led in a yeah, class. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. But are weightlifting, when you do it, you just Decide. i mean i don't
2: weight lift that much i do like opposition stuff
1: what's that like in what, you way? know
2: like as a climber you're like constantly pulling all the time mm-hmm. um and so i'll do like like light weight lifting for like my shoulders to op- like opposition stuff i don't actually weight lift that much
1: what, what does that mean though but op-
2: like you know like i lift up a, a dumbbell and just like lift them up like this mm-hmm. I- eyes wise and T's.
1: oh yeah i do those yeah, yeah okay i do
2: eyes, y's and t's and i do them on the trx too what eyes,
1: y's and t's explain to people what you mean
2: it's when you basically make a you make an i a y or a t with your arms yeah so like straight up straight like up yeah and, yep. then, like and that, then the y and, and then the like t this. and it's supposed yeah. to it's supposed to help with like strengthen your shoulders and sta- like the little stabilizer muscles mm-hmm. um because i just get nagging like my shoulders constantly feels like it's on the verge of getting injured and it never has
1: well, it's kind of amazing. You think about what you're doing. It's so much yeah. shoulder.
2: Well, and you're and, always putting them in like really compromising positions. It's like one of the a common injury for climbers is a shoulder injury.
1: What is uh like what what a, what does a climber do to strengthen their shoulders? Is it a lot of band work. Band work. It, mm-hmm. I was just
2: going to say. I so I travel with like in my climbing pack before I climb, I like pull out the band and do like a bunch of band exercises. And-
1: Have you ever seen there's a there's these bands that are called uh, crossover symmetry. That's what it's called, and it comes with uh, like uh, a workout, like uh, a, a chart that shows all the different various shoulder workouts. But they you 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 do them so like if it's on uh, a door or a wall. You like you would put one on one side of the doorway and one on the other side. So they cross this way. Oh. and So you do your I's Ys and T's with that. You do. I do like these where I pull back yep. and then lift up. Mm-hmm. There's all these. It's but it's really cool because it has a chart that comes with it that shows all the various mm-hmm. exercises and what it targets. And if you just make your way down, it's specifically designed to strengthen shoulders.
2: That sounds, that yeah, sounds cool. There it is
1: right there. That's. Um, I bought it from Crossover Rogue, Symmetry. but it's really cool too because it has a bunch of different um, tension bands. Like they go up to really like I mostly use like a twenty-five pound one, but they go up high like 40, 50. Uh-huh. and they're ridiculously stiff to to move. But if you can like force yourself, that's how I have it set up. Uh-huh. I have it set it up on a, uh, on a Sorenex rack. But if you can force yourself to go through those routines that you'll, you'll see on the chart just make your way down the whole r- it's a phenomenal shoulder workout.
2: Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And that's I guess that's the hook for like a doorway. Yeah, so you can like you travel clip. with it. Yeah. It's really dope. I I love it. And it's and it's simple like they have it all set up so you just follow these routines and it shows you what part of your back and shoulders that it's mm. targeting and i've i noticed a, a pretty significant alleviation of uh shoulder instability and yep. weakness from it
2: yeah that's that's what i need
1: <laughs> yeah because i gotta imagine like that would when i was asking you what it's like being 30 day shoulder fix there you go what i was asking about being a professional athlete i mean obviously i know a lot of professional athletes wow. from working in the ufc but the instability of, or the in the, it's not instability, but the uncertainty yeah. of making a living with your own tissue and bone. I mean, this is your career is reliant upon you not being injured in a sport that's incredibly injury prone, yeah.
0: right?
2: Yeah, I think, I think it is. And I think as I get older, like, I'm going to have to be a lot smarter about how I train and and um, and there is a lot of uncertainty like I remember when I was younger in my head that's why I was going to go be a lawyer you know (laughs) and then also I was like oh well once I you know once I decide to have a kid like then I'll just be I might just be done you know but I think that the way that the job of a professional athlete has sort of like morphed into so much more than just performing at your sport, if that makes sense. Like, mm-hmm. you know, if you're if you're really actively engaged in social media, and if you're a good storyteller, and if you're a good speaker, um, there's a lot of other avenues you can take. For instance, like if you do get injured, um, it's also temporary, right? Um, and then with climbing. There's a lot of, you know, it's it doesn't just stop at like the Olympics for example. Um I can I can do what I'm doing now. I can go climb big mountains. There's a lot of other ways to be a climber. Um, th- and so I think it it elongates that career in some way in addition to the fact that we can essentially become our own brand.
1: Mm. That makes sense, yep. right? So you can you you can do all kinds of things with that right do you have any aspirations to like expand your brand i hate that that term i
2: know it's like kind of
1: i love what you've done with your brand yeah, it's like such an la thing to it say it is
2: you're right it totally is <laughs> but i don't know what else to say it no it's the best way I to mean, say it's it i mean i i just have like a glorified marketing job is what i is what i have
1: well, in that's a way. I do. <laughs> but but it's also sort of yeah but you've earned of that position it's not marketing it's like you're yes. you've You've done things that are pretty extraordinary. That's not, yeah. it's not as simple as just a glorified marketing it's job. It's true,
2: it's true. But I guess that's the imposter syndrome speaking.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: Um, yeah, and I think I do, I have aspirations to like tell my story, I think in an authentic way that people are inspired by and that people can relate
1: to. So are you thinking about writing a book or a documentary? I mean, I'd
2: love to write a book someday. Um. There is going to be a movie coming out about my whole like process on LCAP and sort of like my um my journey as a climber, I guess, in the spring.
1: Who's putting that together?
2: My friend John Glassberg, who owns a company called Louder Than Eleven. Uh he's the one who's been with me the whole time. He filmed he's been filming me ever since I started climbing in Yosemite. And he was there the day that I the day that I did this.
1: And he was also the day you fell and uh-huh. got a concussion. Oh uh-huh. so you have all He has that. all of it. Oh wow.
2: Yeah, he's got he's got everything from the beginning.
1: God, that's an editing job, huh?
2: Yeah, we actually Ooh. Adrian and I, he came to our house a few a few weeks ago and like showed us just like the storyline and it's just like 4 hours of like my life leading up to that moment. So, they're definitely
1: <laughs> Is that weird to you to see? Yeah,
2: it was pretty weird. Cuz he got all this footage. He like went to my parents' house and got all this old footage from my dad, you know, like from the cassette tapes and um just Uh, I don't know what they call when they like digitize it all. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, so I was watching like all this stuff from when I was a baby to like when I my dad built a climbing wall in my garage and surprised me with it, which I completely forgot that even happened. Wow! And he just like showed it to me and I was like, oh, my gosh, this is it it was trippy for sure.
1: That's wild. Yeah. So is he going to do that and try to sell it to Netflix or something along those lines? I
2: mean, yeah, I think that's I think that's like an idea. At this point, it's like his first documentary. You know, it's kind of like his, his, uh, like his, his baby at this, at this point. He's like pretty involved, pretty invested in it. So, we'll you, see where it goes. you have to see Dirtbag then. You I have know. to
1: watch that. I can't believe you haven't watched I know. it. St-
2: now that you, now that I've, I've seen like the cover of the film, I've totally heard of it. I know, I know what you're talking about.
1: It's a sad story in a way, yeah. in a lot of ways, because the yeah. guys, like the people that were around him, sort of admired him at the same time pitied him mm-hmm. it was like there was because he you know he would eat like old food and you know he, he never had any money <laughs> yeah and he's always just laying around and it's weird it's a it's a weird but also again this dedication to this one singular obsession
2: yeah you know and that's kind of like a um that's Kind of how the history of climbing in Yosemite began is with like the dirt bags, the people Mm -hmm. who went there and all they did was, that's all they wanted to do was climb. And so they would just like go scrounge for food at the cafeteria and like sleep out in the forest and just go climbing and do whatever they could to climb. That's such a weird thing. Yeah.
1: For the average person that wants stability in their life and wants security and wants a 401k plan and wants... You know, a mortgage and all, all the things, the the trappings of modern culture to see someone who's so completely rebellious that they literally want to sleep in the forest <laughs> and climb mountains.
2: Yeah. In a way, I, th- I you know, that's what made them happy. They, like, figured out what made them happy.
1: But you just got a big smile thinking about that. Yeah. Yeah, because that's romantic to you, right?
2: Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking about it in terms of, like, how far climbing has come as well, you know? And I think a lot of mm. those, those people um, from back in the day – they were just like they saw themselves as like outcasts of society in a way and i think just as with everything everything changes right and like with the evolution of climbing like you now have people like me who are like making a living climbing and you know i do have a mortgage and i'm just like making it work you know and in a way i often wonder if those people like look at me and and sort of like feel like i've like sold out or like i'm not like core you know if that makes sense. Like, oh,
1: because you have sponsors? Beca- yeah,
2: because I've like, I've I've made it work and I've like worked the um. system again, imposter syndrome, but I've like worked the system to, to get to a point where I'm like actually making a living and, and, uh, managing, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and it's just an interesting, it's an interesting thought. There's like a little bit of like, uh, I don't know. I feel a little bit sensitive to it. Like, I'm like, Oh no, am I not? Like just didn't sleep in the forest enough
1: days. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't sleep. I didn't struggle eating fucking wood chips. Yeah, yeah. I I get it. I would imagine like any industry, it's filled with people who try to sort of malign and misrepresent who other people are, and they get jealous and yeah, get petty.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think in I think it's mostly like social media. Like the one thing I learned through all of this um, the last few weeks were a little bit of a whirlwind because just because this whole thing went a little bit bigger than I thought it Mm
0: -hmm. would. (laughs) would
2: Um, so yeah, I learned to like not ever log into Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) Twitter's like the worst one for some reason.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Because it's all just opinions. Yeah. At least with Instagram, it's, you know, photographs and then people comment on the photographs, but it just seems to be the, the tone of Instagram seems to be, uh, markedly more positive
2: Uh, yeah that's what i've realized and that's mainly that's the one i use the most is instagram me too um but i logged into twitter for the first time in like three years or something and i was just like oh no i gotta get out
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah you can't read it it's just, there's so many people there that are just filled with hate.
2: Yeah. But at yeah. the same time, I mean, I guess it's, it's a good way to get news. I, I suppose. I don't yes. Know.
1: It's a good way to get news. Yeah. It's not a good way to read anything about you though. No. Like, the mentions, you got to stay don't out of Don't click on that one. No. I learned that one. There should bell. be a way don't to make that. that invisible. Yeah. Make that little thing invisible. So you don't have to look at it. Yeah. Yeah. Don't even like, cause like it's a little like a haunted house. Like yeah. you open the door. <laughs> with all these crazy people that are just angry and, there's a thing also where it's almost like having a box of rocks next to a, a bunch of windows. It's yeah. so like people just want to throw a rock. Yeah. Like, fuck Emily, that yeah. bitch. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like there's people that just are like that. Yeah. There's some I mean, people that and they're at work and they're bored or they're yeah, angry. Yeah, people just
2: want to be heard, I think, in a lot of ways. Well and it's,
1: Yeah. There's a lot of that. That's yeah.
2: I mean it's what we all want in a way, I guess. <laughs>
1: yeah, sort of. Seen and heard until you are yeah until then, you are and
2: then you're like okay
1: and then you're like this is not what i wanted i'm gonna go hide well that is the peril of uh trying to be in the public eye right? yeah like you're you're making an attempt at garnering an enormous and uh un- unusual amount of attention
2: yeah for sure yeah it's and it's it's scary, honestly. Like it's almost scarier than like doing what I did. It's or mm. or climbing in a way because it's it. I mean, I'm just a, I'm like a sensitive person, I think, and so throughout all of this, I've had to just learn to be like, well, a little bit tougher.
1: Mm. <laughs> as long as you, it doesn't change you, right? Yeah. It's like that's the the danger that you'd be more averse to risk, or you would be somehow or another you would change like you know we were talking before the show about hollywood like uh, moving out here has made me realize how tainted the the Mm -hmm. entire city is by the desire that people have to be chosen Mm -hmm. to be on things Mm -hmm. to be chosen to be on a television show or chosen to be in a movie and so you become what people want you to be you pretend to be what people are looking for you shape your opinions and your look and your dress to what you think is going to be more likely to get you success in that world Mm -hmm. and that is a mind virus that infects the entire city that the problem with any kind of interaction with people on social media is that you can kind of change how you behave so that you like mitigate the amount of hate you get or you mitigate the amount of jealousy or mm-hmm. mitigate the amount of pettiness and you can it can f- sort of it can fuck up your own journey you know like your yeah. own there's there's it's pros and cons like don't get me wrong there's there's definitely some pros in reading criticism and cuz you can apply it to yourself and learn whether it's accurate and also realize like oh this is like a person that's like really sad and they're trying to hurt all these other people so you can sort of take pity on them and it gives you a better understanding of just human psychology mm-hmm. in general but it can also it can also change the way you express yourself like you you could be more guarded for sure and that 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 can be a problem too because then you you're not as free and ultimately we all, all want to be free to express ourselves mm-hmm. we all want to be free to show who we really are and i think the more you Intertwine who you are with other people's ideas and other people's expectations, and sort of try to be everything for every person. You kind of water who you are down.
2: Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, I think yeah. And the more people, the more people have eyes on you, the more they're going to have their opinions about who you are or who. Well, there you was might also be.
1: people misrepresenting what you did exactly, too. Exactly,
2: which was yeah. You know, which was hard for me because so essentially let's, let's explain. Yeah, Go ahead, explain that. <laughs> so essentially, uh, one news article. I think it was like I don't know how it happened, but essentially, like the domino effect of like someone changed the wording of the of what I did um, and said that I was the first woman to free climb El Cap in a day, which is a a gross misunderstanding because the first person to free climb El Cap in a day was a woman and her name is Lynn Hill and she did it in 1994 and in climbing that is like. One of the most historic, groundbreaking achievements in climbing's history. Like Lynn Hill is an absolute legend that everyone knows who she is. And so, you know, it, it, in a way, like I got accused of like erasing history by like claiming to be
1: the do first woman. No fault woman. of your own. No, you did nothing.
2: I I, d- I didn't do anything. I, but I I did. I I tried really hard to correct it. Um, but for me, it was it was a little bit mortifying because I. I, I grew up in the same town as Lynn like I was brought in. I knew her like growing up and she was an absolute hero of mine and I knew of her achievement as like this was there's not that many sporting achievements that are that groundbreaking and that pioneering that are like owned by a woman like she did this before any human thought it was possible and it and for me like coming into climbing as a 10 year old I recognized that immediately and saw climbing as a space for women and a space where women could really excel And so I, you know, free climb, managing to free climb El Cap in a day for me was personally very important, but it also, I just felt so much pride because like I got to kind of do something that Lynn did 26 years ago. That's so rad. And then all of these stories came out saying that I was the first woman. So it was just kind of me being like, oh no, like I didn't, I didn't do that. I, I did I don't want it to be this way. Um, and thankfully I like, know her and I got to call her and be like I'm so sorry and she didn't really care at all
1: obviously well it was just <laughs> but we should be really clear it's nothing you said it's no, I didn't the way say it. the editors decided to phrase it
2: yeah and I think it's just like um yeah it's just the way that media works sometimes like they basically changed the heading of like that I f- was the first woman to free climb Golden Gate to they just did a, a shitty free-climb. job
1: oh, okay. of yeah. re- researching it yeah and so you were the first woman to free climb Golden Gate
2: in a day. In
1: a day, yeah. which is a really difficult path.
2: Yeah, it's a difficult path. Um Lynn free climbed the nose, which is a different route. Um and then free climbing El Cap in a day is just in a day is the important part because it's it's an achievement that like I think only maybe like 25 people have done in history and only four women. And it's something it's like the epitome of like f- big wall free climbing.
1: So the hate that you got was <sighs> unfortunate and uh, misguided like it, yeah it, it's I mean, just but people do that when someone achieves something remarkable and yeah. if there's any flaw in the way it's being represented they're like oh this girl she's a racing history she's a fraud she's a this she's a that but it, you didn't do anything all yeah. you did is just do what you did yeah you, you climbed the mountain
2: yeah and to be clear like i wasn't that bummed about it but i was sort of like oh okay this is how it goes like I'm getting a lot of attention and I'm going to have to deal with a little bit of like negativity because that's just how the world works. Has that been
1: cleared up of people kind of understand yeah. that this wasn't you?
2: I think people have cleared that up for sure. I mean, there's definitely a little bit of like, oh, you should have been more on top of things, but you know, that's just people not understanding how this stuff works (laughs) Yeah,
1: you don't even know how many articles are being written about you that's the problem yeah so many articles viral yeah i put it up on my instagram and when i did i saw at least 10 different articles about it yeah and i was trying to see like what was right and what was wrong and it's just one of those things where someone does something something extraordinary it becomes clickbait yeah exactly yeah so that was the big lesson about social media and hate for you (laughs) (laughs)
2: yeah and I think you know I don't think it's really changed much um it's definitely made me feel uh I honestly like I feel like a little bit of responsibility in a way like I feel like I represent climbing uh, to a broader audience right now especially right now and so like I want to do a good job of that and I want to present it in like an authentic and honest way um you know, but at the same time, like I'm pretty aware that there's always going to be haters, and like that's just life. That's how yes. it goes. <laughs> yeah, just
1: don't engage.
2: <laughs> don't just read the comments.
1: Don't 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 read the comments, and definitely don't respond to them. Yeah. Does North Face or any of these other companies that you work with do they have like social media coaching or anything? Do they? Yeah. Do they? Yeah.
2: Yeah, we do some social media coaching, um, like at those athlete summits I was referring to. Um, and you know now it's but that was back in the day now like a few years ago now i just feel like everyone is so accustomed to social media everyone knows how to like how to work it um the one thing that they're starting to get into that i'm still not quite there yet i feel like i'm a little old for it is TikTok.
1: good like good i just for you i don't my 12 year old you met her oh, I, yeah she's a TikTok and fool
2: yeah the Stay dancing away that, from the that dancing yeah
1: thing. they're all they they can't help themselves i just they're like waiting in line at starbucks TikTok and. <laughs>
2: I um I still don't I can't it's just one too many things, I think. <laughs> you don't need
1: it. You don't need it. It's odd. But it's interesting. You know, I, I, I think it's interesting when things become viral. I'm always fascinated by when uh something becomes like some things are just so boring to me, yet they become viral. Yeah. I don't understand. And some things are just like the guy on the skateboard drinking cranberry juice, singing along the Fleetwood yeah. Mac. Like so simple. So yet, simple resonates with people, and the guy becomes huge.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that was, I feel like that was just like a moment, um, he was, it was a moment in time that like people were really looking for something positive.
1: Yeah. It was
2: like so lighthearted. People love that song. Yeah. It just went over really well.
1: Yeah. Weird, right? (laughs) Yeah. But that to me is so fascinating that of all the things that people are doing online all over the world, that this guy just chilling on a skateboard with a bottle of cranberry juice that's I, it.
2: I thought it was great. I, was, I did too. I was like, oh, it just made me smile. Yeah. You know, so you send it to your friend. Yeah. It makes them smile.
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't know how many millions of people saw it though. It's crazy. Yeah. That's fascinating to me. Like what, what pops, what catches people's attention, yeah. what goes viral?
2: I think it's just like a combination of like where we are as a, as a society, like what we're kind of like craving. And if someone like provides that with yeah. or without knowing it.
1: Right, of course, because it was like right at the elections, yeah. and everyone was like,
2: ah, the sky's falling. Yeah. And, and I, I feel like that happened a little bit with my story, too. Like, I had climbed the day after the election, and everyone was like, that's so crazy. You climbed the day after the election. Like, what was that like? And I was like, well, I just didn't have to doom scroll all day. Like, I didn't want to <laughs> look at my phone. What are you talking about? Like,. That's what everyone should have done.
1: That is the way to do it. Yeah, everyone should have gone hiking. Just do something. Yeah. Get out of the house. Get
2: out of there. Yeah.
1: Do people ask your opinions on politics, and do you sort of like avoid answering those questions? Because there's no winner. No. It's like no, like no matter you're gonna piss somebody off.
2: Totally. Um. Yes. Yes, they do. And I do. I do share my opinions about politics, and I do try to do it in like a very diplomatic way. That's not, you know. I I do have I have like I have a political stand on things I care about the environment I care about climate change Like I'm yeah. a part of an organization Called Protect Our Winters Like You know I That's like One of my causes That I care about um, And so I'm pretty well, vocal about that especially because
1: You're really into skiing
2: Yeah I love skiing
1: well, There's no that's skiing I, If everything gets warm <laughs>
2: Exactly You know And that's sort of like Our avenue for talking to people You know mm. Like if you love the outdoors You should care about the environment And yeah. you know um and so people do i but i'm also i'm one of those people that i really and adrian and i talk about this all the time like we try to listen to all the different sides and Mm -hmm. we try to have i think that one of our problems is like being so divided and not being able to understand one another yeah and that's the part that worries me the most is like the hatred that we all have for the other side and And that's that us versus them type of thing and that inability to understand each other is is hard
1: or even want to understand each other yeah 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 to just label each other the other side as the enemy no matter what and yeah and the weird thing to me is i know people personally that used to be like heavy duty left wing and they would argue like vehemently and, and passionately against the right wing And then they switched over. (laughs) And then they're arguing passionately against the left. Yeah. And I'm like, you just might be a fucking complainer.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's fair.
1: There's good and bad in all people, in all ideas, and in all ideologies, and in all political bends. But what gets me is that what you talked about, that the climate and the environment— in any way be political that is so bizarre to me that we would have a division left or right that wouldn't or would appreciate the environment like god isn't that like part of being a fucking human living on a planet like don't you want the rivers to be clean how is that political how is it political to to not want the oceans to be filled with plastic how is it political to not be concerned about the 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 death of animals because of oil spills like what is political about that that seems so nuts that seems like something like universally as a human we should say hey first take care of the earth this is the only one we have this is where we live let's abandon left and right and all this nonsense independent libertarian stop earth take care of earth
2: yeah, and I mean I think a lot of it obviously a lot of it has to do with money, a lot of it has to do with where we get our energy from and who's in charge there. And I yes. think I think one of the biggest things I think a lot of people don't appreciate the earth, is is what I'm saying. Like I think a lot of people don't have the opportunity to go outside. And they go definitely on a don't hike like you do. And 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 to appreciate the world in the same in the same way that I've been able to to do so or, or you have. Um, so I think, you know, one of the important things is to is to show people what like nature has to offer, like what being outside has to offer, like the outdoors, how much it can contribute to and benefit your life. And then once you show people that, then they'll start to care about it because if they don't get to experience it, then they go they don't care about it. And I think there are a lot of people out there that are pretty um, isolated from the outdoor experience you know they live in inner cities they don't have access to the outdoors in the same way that we do they choose to just play video games in their in their spare time whatever that may be um i think and and that's one of my like goals in climbing i guess is to make it more accessible to people let them experience it experience what it does and then they'll start to care about the places that are outdoors and they'll want to protect them
1: that's a great desire to educate people i think it's titanically bizarre that we have a term that we call outdoors what do you mean it's strange (laughs) that we have a thing like outdoors it's outdoors like indoors is normal yeah outdoors it's the earth yeah it's it's nature but in our our mind we're like oh outdoors like, what do you mean out? Well, no, it's nature, the earth. Like, we're so accustomed to being inside a yeah. building yeah. that we think of everything outside of buildings as outdoors. Yeah, like it's a weird term. Yeah, like, indoors should be what's bizarre.
2: Yeah, agreed. Be- and outdoors is seen as like this really extreme. I think we sh- we need to kind of like get away from like the idea that outdoors is like so extreme and it's like for people who like it's a weird do what I do like going outside is something that's super normal and we should all be doing it
1: more. It should be. (laughs) Yeah. You do do it a lot and it's amazing and it's great. But the, the expression outdoors is a weird expression.
2: Yeah, I agree.
1: It's just like, it's assuming that everyone is constantly protected by a house and a shelter. Yeah. And when you go outside of the shelter, like, Oh my goodness, you're outdoors. You're out there. No, that is the real life that is the real earth. Yeah. That's the real nature. This is where everything else lives except us. Yeah. And we're like, going outdoors. It's a strange... Oh, I love the outdoors. Oh, you love. You mean you love nature? <laughs> no, the outdoors. Uh, nature. You mean woods and wilderness? That's what you mean. Well, I like to call it outdoors. It's like, a strange... <laughs> right? It's a very strange yeah, expression. now you
2: mentioned it, it is, it is weird.
1: It's one of those strange things that you just get accustomed to and yeah. you forget how bizarre it is until... Someone brings it up. It's like one of the things, if you got high, you'd think about it and you're like, what? Yeah. What a weird expression. It's a strange expression that's commonplace.
2: Yeah. I could see that.
1: Yeah. It's, (laughs) it's, that's actually nature. That's what everything's supposed to be living in. Mm -hmm. Everything's supposed to be in the woods and the mountains and the wilderness and lakes and streams and the ocean. And we call it outdoors.
2: I mean, because I think most a lot of people do just spend their time inside. Yes, you know They go from their yeah. home to their work, mm-hmm. maybe not even go to their work anymore They're just at home.
1: Yeah, well I and I think that's one of the reasons why people are so depressed I think it's um, I don't think it's a natural environment for any biological creature and and not for us Even though we've created these environments and we've we've made them really cool and made some nice houses and you know Great big TVs and cool shit to do inside the house I don't think it resonates with our actual biology. I think our bodies have evolved over millions of years to be experiencing all sorts of things that are a part of the wilderness and nature. The sun and the wind and trees and visual, just these visual cues, seeing mountains. There's something about like beautiful like landscapes in nature that make you feel really good, right? Yeah. Like if you... If you're like on a trail and you, you you crest a hill and you see mountains and a lake, a be- like in the sun, the rays of the sun are hitting the trees and it's all green and lush and you see birds flying around, you're like, wow. It makes It's like a drug. Like it hits yeah. you because your body evolved. Human beings evolved to experience these things. And when you see these beautiful, gorgeous, lush environments, generally speaking, it means... Like lo- like habitat where animals live and where you can find food and where there's going to be fresh clean water. That's that lake and all those things. There's like these cues that are biologically embedded in our DNA.
2: Yeah, agreed. <laughs> that's why we should care about that stuff. Yes,
1: <laughs> but the fact that that's political is we're nuts. We're a crazy species. We're a crazy animal. Yeah, that that is uh that's odd to go there to those places is rare. But that's how we evolved. We're supposed to be in those places. Like, that's, I really firmly believe it's one of the reasons why people are so detached and they feel so disconnected and so unhappy. Yeah. Is get, if you're in a fucking subway and you take the subway to a, a building and you sit in front of a cubicle staring at a screen and then you get in the subway and you head home and you're in another building, you're never around trees. You're never around a river. You're never around. Eagles, and you, you never see a deer walking by. You never see those things. Like, I just think your body's deprived of it the same way you would get scurvy if you don't get vitamin C.
2: Yeah. But so, but so what do you what do you think the solution is get the those fuck
1: outside but what if you just go. like live
2: in an inner city like in get a park, the yeah, a park yeah a park exactly
1: i mean anything and we need
2: more spaces like that I wim think.
1: hoff says we should literally hug trees yeah he's like you should, should hug a fucking tree man yeah like, that's what he's saying about he's like it's good for you you really yeah. you need it yeah. you really do like people that go to central park you could see like if you go to new york city when you see them in Central Park, they're re- fucking relaxed. Like, yeah. they're like, oh, like you just sit there and there's trees and there's the grass and is there's at least some life, some actual natural life.
2: Yeah, yeah, I think, and also I think that's one of the things that's come out of COVID a little bit. I think people are actually going outdoors more.
1: Not in L.A. Not in L.A. They won't even let you go to the fucking park. They're crazy. I
2: mean, I've noticed the climbing areas and the trails and Mm -hmm. everything. Where I live in Tahoe, it's so busy. Yeah. Because people have gotten out of the city. And they're coming up and they're getting outside and they're going hiking. And like just even friends who own like gear shops, they say that they're actually doing really well because people are buying bikes and buying hiking shoes and getting outside because they're not in school. They're not in work. They're not working. There's nothing else to do. So that's maybe like one tiny little silver lining to everything. So yeah. People are discovering it.
1: Well, it's like you were saying that people do adapt, like you're saying about people sleeping mm-hmm. on the side of cliffs. People are very malleable. They do adapt. And it sucks that people are going through all this. But the good thing about it is that there are people that are becoming more active. There are mm-hmm. people the, – The I mean, and it's not everybody. And unfortunately, some people can't do this. But a lot of people are getting in shape. A lot of people are – even though they can't go to a gym they've gone on youtube and looked up bodyweight exercises and started a routine and lost weight and got fitter and started you I mean there's a ton of yoga videos you can just get off youtube yeah. and they're free and you can just you don't need any money you just need a phone or an internet connection and you've got something to do and you know Bike shops. Like, uh, I, I know uh, uh, a bike shop that's uh, near me that was saying that they literally have a hard time keeping bikes in stock yeah, now. And that's what.
2: Yeah, that's what we we're hearing in our town as well. That's cool. Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah. I think it's awesome.
1: Yeah, more people out there doing stuff. Yeah. I think it's great. I hope that people also realize that they've been, you know, for a lot of people, they've been dedicated themselves to something that can be taken away from them and that to, to just recognize that this whole experience that we have on this planet is very temporary. And so many people are chasing material things and chasing a position in a company and then the company goes away. And then you realize like, Oh, well, this was all fragile. Yeah. And I thought it was permanent. And it's, it gives you an opportunity, even though it sucks, it does give you an opportunity to sort of readdress how you interface with life. And change what's important to you and change where your priorities are and change just maybe your path forward and, and recognize that, hey, this can happen again. And maybe I should be more prepared, but also maybe I should reassess what I'm doing with my life.
2: Yeah, what's important to you, where your yeah. priorities are.
1: Yeah. Do you anticipate doing this until you're uh like like the dirtbag guy? Yeah. Like, Till you can't climb anymore?
2: Yeah, I'm going to climb forever, I think. Um, I'm going to climb forever. I'm going to ski forever. I'm going to, yeah, for sure.
1: (laughs) Beautiful. I love it. Listen, keep kicking ass. Thank you. Thank you very much for being here. Thanks. And, uh, let everybody know what your social media is so they can say nice things.
2: Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Do I just say it right now? Yeah, yeah. Just tell everybody. I am Emily A. Harrington, at Emily A. Harrington.
1: And that's, uh on Uh, instagram on instagram Instagram. yeah
2: but if you just if you just searched it you'd find it on all all the other ones too
1: okay well thank you emily i really enjoyed talking to you it was a lot of fun thanks all right bye everybody